Portions of our show are brought to you by Arthur Creature's Fried Roadkill, because good meat shouldn't go to waste. And now, back to our show. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. My goodness, what's that smell? Spark, analysis, please. It is a methane-based gas of unknown origin, sir. So, it didn't come from you? <coughs> no, Captain. <laughs> to supply and deny is not logical. Bones, what do you make of it? Oh. Damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not an aromatherapist. Scotty, can you beam this odor off the bridge? I shut it. <coughs> do it, Captain. Oh, I need more matches, sir. Mr. Zulu, go to Red Alert. Check up. Open the windows and increase speed to warp nine. Set phases to potpourri. <coughs> oh, God. Oh, terrible. You know, that's something I never really thought about before in my life. What do farts smell like on other planets? Well, I'll let you know when I get there. Isn't that something? Probably what do farts same. smell like on Uranus, for example? Oh, bad. Green. Anyway, boy, look at this. You know, I wish they would make up their mind. I don't want to make light. It's a horrible story, that thing about the Amish, but... They keep changing the number on there. Yesterday, during the show, they said there were six girls dead. Yeah. Then they changed it back to three. Then this morning, if I got a story that says back up to six. Now it's back to five. I guess they're, like, having a tough time telling who's dead and who's alive, you know? I guess they're dead now. No, seriously. Now it's back to five. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I sure hope Catherine Harris wasn't on that plane. Did you see what happened this morning in Opelaka? No, what? Cargo airplanes skidded off the runway at Opelok Airport this morning. Officials at Miami International confirmed it was an accident, but nobody got hurt. I guess you might call this the flight from hell. The airplane, the DC-7, took off from the airport about 6 o'clock this morning, but hydraulics forced it back to Opelok just minutes later. Then, upon returning, the aircraft fully loaded with fuel skidded off the runway. Multi-problemi. How do you like that? Three people were aboard, but nobody was injured. It was an accident, but nobody got hurt. The commercial flight was believed to be run by Florida Air Transport. I sure hope that wasn't the one that Catherine Harris was on. Boy, she is so misunderstood, you know it? Even more right. so than Mark Foley. <laughs> oh. 1,622 votes on yesterday's poll. How many games will the Dolphins win this season? Who cares? 479 of you said that, almost 30%. About 30, man. 479, who cares? They're going to win. 193 people said they'll win six. I was trying to be very generous. That's what I voted. Screw the fish, 189. Screw the fish. What kind of a sentiment is that? Of course, I, I came up with that on the poll. Right. 180 people said they'll win five. 163 people said they win four, which means three more. 78 people said seven. 66 people said the fish will win eight. Oh, yeah. 61 said only two. 60, 60 people said three. 42 people said Super Bowl. <laughs> All right. Well, there will be a Super Bowl, just that they're not going to be in it. 36 said, I hate this poll, only 2.2%. 27 people said they're going to win nine games. Nine. Right, likely story. Uh, playoff, 16. Uh-huh. 15 people said they'd win 10. A dozen people said that offense will win 11, which means 10 and 2 in the last four games. Any chance of that no. whatsoever? None. And five bastards said they're only going to win one, which they already won that one, which means they would lose all the rest of the games the whole season. We just put that on there at the end as kind of a tease. And, of course, some of you, five people bid on it. They bit. They chomped right down on that baby. Oh, Chavez says Castro ready to die. Fidel is dead. Oh, sorry. Cuban leader Fidel Castro has lived his life and is ready to die, according to Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez. During a recent visit to Cuba, Castro tells Chavez, I already lived my epic. I can die. I'm free to die. Not you. You're a slave of life. 
Chavez has made several visits to see Fidel since his intestinal operation. Castro tells Chavez that he's recovering, but Chavez says that recovery will be slow because the illness is serious. Oh, my God. Fidel's condition is treated as a state secret in Cuba. The recovery will be slow because the illness is serious. He'd be ill Not a shame? Not. Yeah, yeah. Should only croak, Fidel. Oh, sorry. And speaking of that... Jesus Diaz Jr. will resign today as president of the Miami Herald Media Company and publisher of the Herald and El Nuevo Herald. I don't want to say that some of your old green tooth people really raise a ruckus when, when things happen, but they sure as hell do. Yep. This action comes amid a widening controversy over payments accepted by some El Nuevo Herald journalists for participating in U.S. government broadcasts on Radio Marti and TV Marti. The move, which ends a challenging and sometimes tumultuous 14 months as head of one of South Florida's most visible and influential institutions is effective immediately, if not sooner. David Landsberg, Oy! who served as general manager, takes over today as company president and publisher of both the Herald and El Nuevo Herald. In a letter to readers, Diaz said the company is reversing course and will grant amnesty to the two El Nuevo Herald reporters and a freelance contributor who were dismissed September 7 when the Herald reported they received payments under contracts with Radio Marti and TV Marti. He also said that an internal probe determined that six other employees of the Spanish-language El Nuevo Herald received payments from Radio Marti and TV Marti during the past five years. No disciplinary action will be taken against them. None of the nine or anyone else in the company can accept any money from the U.S. government-run broadcasters in the future, Diaz said, and conflict of interest policies will be strengthened throughout the company. But he's out. Jesus, Jesus is out. How do you like that? Damn it. Jesus well, Christ. it's the uh, day after Yom Kippur, for crying out loud. It's about time he got with it. And it goes on and on and on at great length, this story. And, of course, uh, there were some people created a big sinus about that, and obviously the Herald caved in. To people who hate them like poison anyway, that's what I find most amusing, is that your old uh, green-tooth people have got them dancing on like on a string, like a bunch of puppets. Yeah. Editorial in the uh, right-wing Sun Young Moon's Washington Times. Resign, Mr. Speaker says the facts of the disgrace of Mark Foley, who was a Republican member of the House from a Florida district till he resigned last week, constitute a disgrace for every Republican member of Congress. Red flag, uh, flags emerged in late 2005, perhaps even earlier, in suggestive and wholly inappropriate email messages to underage congressional pages. His aberrant, predatory, and possibly criminal behavior was an open secret among the pages who were his prey. The evidence was strong enough long enough ago that the Speaker should have relieved Mr. Foley of his committee responsibilities contingent on a full investigation to learn what had taken place, whether any laws had been violated, and what action up to and including prosecution were warranted by the facts. This never happened. Representative John Shimkus of Illinois, the Republican chairman of the House Page Board, said he learned about the Foley email messages in late 2005. Representative John Boehner of Ohio, leader of the Republican majority, said he was informed of the email messages earlier this year. On Friday, Mr. Hastert dissembled, to put it charitably, before conceding that he, too, learned about the email messages sometime earlier this year. Late yesterday afternoon, Hastert insisted he learned the most flagrant instant message exchange from 2003, only on Friday when it was reported by ABC News. This is irrelevant. The original email messages were warning enough that a predator, and incredibly the co-chairman of the House Committee on Missing and Exploited Children, could be prowling the halls of Congress. The matter wasn't pursued aggressively. It was barely pursued at all. Moreover, all available evidence suggests that the Republican leadership did not share anything related to this matter with any Democrat. Now the scandal must unfold on the front pages of the newspapers and on the television screens as transcripts of lewd messages emerge and doubts are rightly raised about the forthrightness of the Republican stewards of the 109th Congress. Forthright my ass. 
Some Democrats are attempting to make this a Republican scandal, and they shouldn't. Democrats have contributed more than their share of characters in the tawdry history of congressional sexual scandals. Sexual predators come in all shapes, sizes, and partisan hues in institutions within and without government. When predators are found, they must be dealt with forcefully and swiftly. This time, the offender is a Republican, and Republicans can't simply get ahead of the scandal by competing to make the most noise and calls for a full investigation. The time for that is long past. House Speaker Hastert must do only the right thing and resign his speakership at once. Either he was grossly negligent for not taking the red flags fully into account or during a swift investigation, for not even remembering the order of events leading up to last week's revelations, or he deliberately looked the other way in hopes of that a brewing scandal would simply blow away. He gave phony answers Friday to the old and ever-relevant questions of what did he know and when did he know it. Mr. Hastert has forfeited the confidence of the public and his party, and he can't preside over the necessary coming investigation, an investigation that must examine his own inept performance. A special one-day congressional session should elect a successor. We nominate Representative Henry Hyde, also of Illinois. <laughs> I wonder how that guy yeah. in Weston would feel about that. The chairman of the House International Relations Committee, whose approaching retirement ensures that he no longer has a dog in this fight. He has a long and principled career, right, and is respected on both sides of the aisle. Mr. Hyde would preside over the remaining three months of the 109th Congress in a manner best suited for a full and exhaustive investigation until a new speaker for the 110th Congress is elected in January who can assume responsibility for the investigation. That's the editorial from Sung Young Moon and the right-wing Washington Times. Mm -hmm. Step down, Mr. Hastert, and let's stick Henry Hyde in there and play a little hide-and-seek with somebody else's wife. Yes. Like that poor guy in Weston. Hide the what? Hide the weenie. God, isn't that incredible? 644 people on our uh, MySpace.com. That's not too bad, huh? Excellent. And uh, speaking of not too bad, I'm going back to bed because we not only have 1,000 votes on today's poll already, we got over 1,100, 1,103. And, boy, did a lot of people read that story, Josh, that you put on there yesterday around 1030? Well, I told you they, had to, they needed closure. Closure, yeah. yeah. It ain't closed yet. Abuse, so it always sickens me to see that because I worry that parents out there are going to you know, feel that they're, it's not safe to send their kids to the paid system. Oh, it's brother. Not. 1,103 votes on today's poll. Which, which of these best describes Mark Foley? Pedophile, 319, although his attorney uh, insists he's not, but nevertheless. Mm -hmm. Hypocrite, 276. Pervert, 123. Great Republican, 112. <laughs> I don't know if there's a little sarcasm in those votes or not. You think? Possible. Crazy Fag, 79. Stupid, 63. Man, stupid, 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 idiotic jerk. Who's Mark Foley? 54 people, 4.8%, speaking of stupid and jerks. I mean, how could anybody even... Maybe they're all Amish that voted there. Of course, how could they have a computer if they don't have a TV set? They could borrow one. Old Troll, 37. Mark Foley was a merry old troll. Don't call him merry, 37. I voted that, old troll. Horny, 14. Desperate, 9. Careless, 9. And I hate this poll, only 8. 0.7%. But we haven't had a poll like that with that low of a, I hate this poll, in, in a long time. In a raccoon's age, you know what? Indeed. Very long time. In a macaca age. <laughs> I wonder how Senator Makakowicz has taken all this. Well, as a matter of fact, I think he's in one of the stories later on. Well, we got a whole bunch of stuff. i got a big pile. we got over 1,100 votes already. And uh, we'll, we'll try to figure out how many uh, dead girls there are in that story. A horrible story in Amish country there in Pennsylvania. But they keep changing mm -hmm. the number on us. Fine. What do, you, what do you think that means? That they didn't know, and they were opening up the mouth anyway. Well, I don't. I just don't understand. I mean, it's it's five. You sure? Yeah. Positive. Positive. Bet Josh's life on it. Was three. Yeah. Two died. And it was six. Two died overnight. It Here it says gunman kills six in rampage. Sorry. It was six. Then it was three. Then it was four. Then it was six again. Now it's back to five. They just can't make up their mind. 
But they got a real good grip on it. That's what Miss Foley said, too. He had a good grip on it when he was writing all them uh, emails. The biggest names of best talent. The this is Leo Rogers, Sports Radio 560, Hugh A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're a bastard. Hey, I'm Rachel Ray. Coming up next on the Rachel Ray Show, I'll show you how to make a seven-course meal and six easy steps, how to retile a bathroom, the best way to choose a moderately priced wine, vacation do's and don'ts, and we'll take a look at the hottest shoe styles, discuss the situation in Darfur, make a fantastic photo album, check out the latest developments in spatulas, plus reupholstering tips, 101 ways for the Pope to say he's sorry, and I'll show you an easy way to winterize your garden. Then I'll sit down with my special guest, Oprah Winfrey, and George Clooney, Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady, oh, he's hunky. And the cast of CSI, Teach Marin, Tucker Carlson, Mary Matlin, and James Carville, country stars, Megan Rich, Impressionist Rich Little, Rocker Little Richard, A Little House on the Prairie Reunion, Dan Rather, First Lady Laura Bush with a special message on literacy. And Dr. Joyce Brothers will talk frankly about ADHD and adult hyperactivity disorder. <laughs> Plus, Jack Hanna will stop by with 37 breeds of meerkats. It's all on the next Rachel Ray Show. 1018 at 560 WQM. Let's see, it's a Tuesday. we got Young Kipper out of the way now. So we got the humper back. Analyst Wolf Blitzkrieg was not in the uh, Situation Room yesterday. I yeah. did see uh, Bob Woodward on last night with your good buddy, uh-huh. Mr. Suspenders and Colostomy Bag. Oh. Boy, he is just so pedantic. Yeah, he is. The Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense. Uh, do you know anybody who speaks like that? Him. Just him. Just him. The Secretary. Anyway, just to give an idea of how difficult it is to keep track of this Amish story injuries. Devastating realization once you were able to begin to identify and have the parents realize what had happened. Anyway, here's two stories, both from the Toronto Star website. The earlier one, Gunman Kills Six in Rampage, and now the one that just came out, Amish School Tool Rises to Five. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand it's hard to count that high, but nevertheless. Meanwhile, on Friday afternoon, a strategist for Representative Mark Foley tried to cut a deal with ABC's Brian Ross. The correspondent who had dozens of instant messages that Foley sent to Teenage House pages had asked to interview the Florida Republican. Foley's former chief of staff said the congressman was quitting and that Ross could add the information exclusively if he agreed not to publish the raw, sexually explicit messages. Oh, my God. I said, we're not making any deals, Ross recalls. He said the Internet made the story possible because on Thursday he posted a story on his ABC webpage, The Blotter, after obtaining one milder email that Foley had sent a 16-year-old page asking for a picture. Within two hours, former pages had emailed Ross and provided the salacious messages. The only question then was, says Ross, whether this could be authenticated. And it was, obviously, and now we know what's going on. But we still don't know what happened in San Diego. A passive no. statement in an instant message conversation with a teenage page might provide investigators with a damning piece of evidence suggesting criminal behavior in the case of a Mark Foley, according to Ross' story. That instant message exchange uh, from 2003 contains the following. Teen. Where'd you go this afternoon? Uh, Foley. I'm in Pensacola. Had to catch a plane. Over the course of several pages of dialogue, that conversation became extraordinarily graphic and included several direct references to masturbation techniques and frequency, discussion of the child's penis size, and even the congressman's explicit interest in sexual contact with the boy. However, by acknowledging his Pensacola, Florida location, Foley may have offered evidence of his violation of Florida state law, which says... Any person who knowingly utilizes a computer online service, Internet service, or local bulletin board service to seduce, solicit, lure, or entice, or attempt to seduce, solicit, lure, or entice a child, or another person believed by the person to be a child, commits a felony of the third degree. 
In the days since the extent of Foley's transgressions were made public, questions have arisen about how much information House Republican leaders had about the Florida congressman's sexual proclivities. Critics on both the right and the left pointed out that ABC News was able to obtain the instant message conversationally days after learning about the less explicit emails. House leadership had known about those same emails since 2005. Among the harshest critics is David Bossie, head of the conservative group Citizens United. He told the right-wing publication Human Events, Speaker Hastert had knowledge of Congressman Foley's inappropriate behavior and chose to protect a potential pedophile and powerful colleague over a congressional page. Mr. Hastert should resign immediately, he said. Other instant message conversations between Foley and Unraged Boys do not contain clear indications of the congressman's location and ambiguity that may confuse which laws apply to him. Ross Story will continue to search for evidence of his whereabouts at the time of those online sessions. You know what I mean by <coughs> sessions? Yeah. Those kind. Now, this really, this just knocks my socks off, and you know me, I don't wear socks. Stephen Elliott, who writes uh, in The Smirking Chimp, yeah. he says, Mark Foley is just a victim, Matt Drudge, and the monster inside the Republican machine. That's the headline. <laughs> and there's a picture of Miss Drudge with that silly hat on. Uh-huh. Hey, Miss Drudge. You fairy. Elliot writes, I got in trouble once for calling Matt Drudge a first-class scumbag. At the time, I thought maybe I'd gone too far, let my emotions get the better of me. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. But it turns out I hadn't gone too far. It turns out Matt Drudge is a scumbag of the worst kind, the kind that blames the victim of sexual abuse. Matt Drudge actually refers to the children who were preyed upon by Mark Foley as 16- and 17-year-old beasts. He also says the pages were talking about how many times they'd masturbated, how many times they'd done it with their girlfriends this weekend, all those things, and these innocent children. And this poor congressman sitting there typing, oh, am I going to get any, you know? This poor congressman. What we're seeing here through the prism of the lone sexual predator is the monster inside the machine. First, you had the Republican congressional leadership, so power-hungry, so desperate to hold a seat at any cost, they cover Mark Foley's tracks for at least a year. The revelation of the cover-up is followed almost immediately by the right-wing message machine, with Fox News's Britt Hume comparing Foley to Bill Clinton and John Gibson trying to equate the current scandal to previous House scandals more than 20 years ago. Bill O'Reilly tries to make Foley's actions just a byproduct of Foley's homosexuality. Matt Drudge takes all of this to a deeper, darker place than perhaps its logical conclusion. Matt Drudge, like the Republican leadership and the Fox News commentators, is so single-minded and addicted to power that he's willing to blame the children themselves. This is how upside down and wretched their world has become. They blame the children for actions of the adults. And it's no different from the mindset that blames other countries for our failure to find weapons of mass destruction, a mindset that cannot ever accept responsibility. It's just more obvious. One has to believe that the right-wing media, falling all over themselves to protect their masters, will also suffer from the credibility they're squandering so recklessly. I have to believe that even the most dedicated ditto-head will hesitate to believe that it's the adults that need to be protected from the children. After all, Republican Congressman Mark Foley did try to actually meet with the youth. After all, what's law and order if we can't protect our children from those who would abuse them? And adults who want to look away while children are abused are guilty of, are guilty of abuse themselves, writes Stephen Elliott. Go oh, yeah, Miss Fudge says that uh, the kids were the victim, or the, uh, whatever he said. Well, maybe he's experienced such uh, victimization. Well, who knows what kind of circles he hangs with. Exactly. Maybe he and Mark Foley are a type. Maybe that's why he's coming to his uh, rescue. I don't know. What kind of circles, jerk? You fairy! Doug Thompson writes, a long congressional history of protecting sexual predators. How do you like that, a Doug Thompson article? You go, Dougie. Which I think I'll do after the break. Well, right. I don't want to like do an article no, interrupt no. us in the middle of a Doug Thompson piece. I you want know to savor the Doug Thompson articles. Oh yeah. Take your time with it. Maybe oh. pour some wine. Get a towel. <laughs> right. Get out a towel. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's see how many votes we got on here. We're going to have a lot. Eleven hundred and sixty-five already. The sky's the limit today. I'm not even predicting.
The sky's the limit. We could do like a million, don't you think? Sure, especially if that uh, story's still there. What story is that? You know, you, the transcripts. You mean the one with the transcripts of the yeah. chat room, do uh-huh. That was on yesterday's website, and we have only 871 people who read that. It wasn't even on there as of a 10:20 yesterday, and then we uh, Josh stuck it on there about 10:30. I think you should and here keep we are it about there. 24 hours later. I beg your pardon. Keep it up at the top. Is keep what it I up say. at the top. That yeah. sounds like yeah. one of the uh, email messages that was sent from Mark Foley. Keep it up. Let's see. <laughs> is it at the top? No, it's not at the top anymore. In fact, the, the one that I just read, Mark Foley is just a victim. That's uh, mm-hmm. number two. But it's still on there, isn't it? Yes. Well, well, I have to search for it. Scroll down and million stories. I'm not going to hold them by the hand and spoon feed them stuff. Okay. In fact, George caught me into reading some of that stuff yesterday, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised you're going to get a spanking for it later on today. That's right. Uh huh. Speaking of that, we got let's see the uh, Mad Dog two to four, Power Hour, Hank and the Mad Dog together four to five. No Yom Kippur today. No Jewish holidays. Uh, Humper Solo five to seven. That is Geldy seven to ten o'clock tonight. Wow. Including the Panthers preseason special from 8 to 9. Any interest no. in your Florida Panthers? No. Eddie K, 10 o'clock tonight. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560. QAM. and doo-doo all over the place. That's what we need, a little humor in it. Bring him back alive, huh? or not. Right. Maybe that's the whole Foley thing. Maybe this is the October surprise that uh, the Republicans weren't expecting, you think? Yeah. <laughs> I think October it was surprise. a surprise, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of surprise. Halloween yet. The Iraqi court trying Saddam Hussein postponed the verdict in the former leader's first trial and said today the judges are considering the possibility of recalling some witnesses. 
The court is due to convene October 16. That's like two weeks from uh, yesterday for the first time since it adjourned, July 27, to allow the five-judge panel to consider the verdicts against Sodom and the seven co-defendants on charges of crimes against humanity for a crackdown against Shiites in the 1980s. Sodom and his co-defendants faced possible execution by hanging if found guilty in the charges connected to a crackdown on Shiites in the town of Dujail, launched in 1982. And it goes on and on and on. But a boop, but a and, of course, the thing with the uh, emails, man, goes on. I bet you there's going to be a lot more salacious stuff before this week is out, don't you think? It's got to be. I know. I sure keep uh, looking for them. <laughs> Put them on the website and get 80 million hits. Well, we got, I bet you we'll wind up with more than 1,000 people reading that story. If we could have a th- 876 right now, Mark Foley instant message chats with Congressional Page from yesterday's website. 876. We put a story on there about something that's non-sexual, something important like, you know, the world is going to blow up in six weeks. We get like uh, 200 people read it. Wait a minute. You said non-sexual and important. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know, since we had to take those pictures off our website, we don't have the beaded curtain anymore because we don't want everybody to go to jail. Since we had to do that, it's uh, you've got to put something on there that's got like some good uh, four-letter words in it. So or at least, least the uh, word sex in it. We could change the headlines to all those stories that you post, you know. And that's true. And Conway, David Dixon, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much for arguing about uh, nothing. Now, let's see. Oh, here's Doug Thompson's article that you interrupted me from reading like uh, several minutes ago. A year ago, a Speaker of the House, Denny Hastert, knew the GOP had a problem in its midst, writes Doug Thompson. Representative Mark Foley of Florida, popular Florida congressman who played a key role in the Republican Party's struggles to hold on to power in Congress, was soliciting sex from young male congressional pages. We ought to play that song by the birds, My Back Pages, don't you think? I looked for that yesterday. I didn't have it. On My Back Pages? Foley's fondness for young boys was no secret in GOP circles. Like other members of Congress with known perversions and sordid sexual habits, Foley's dirty little secret finished second to political considerations. All they had to do was keep the scandal under wraps until after the next election. But Foley was caught sending erotic emails to underage boys in the congressional page system, and the matter had come to light to Representative Rodney Alexander, Republican of Louisiana, sponsor of the page, who received the emails from the congressman. Hester met with Representative Tom Reynolds, the New York Republican who chairs the National Republican Congressional Committee. Reynolds admitted this weekend that he and Hester had known about Foley's problems for months. Rodney Alexander brought to my attention the existence of the emails between Mark Foley and a former page of Mr. Alexander's Reynolds admitted over the weekend, despite the fact I had not seen the emails in question, and Mr. Alexander told me the parents didn't want the matter pursued, I told the speaker of the conversation Mr. Alexander had with me. Although Hastert met with Foley and told him to cut out the emails and stay away from the pages, he did not notify the Capitol Hill police or any other law enforcement agency that Congress had a sexual predator in its ranks, nor did he direct the House Ethics Committee to open an investigation into Foley's behavior. He didn't even tell the Congressional Page Board, the oversight group charged with keeping safe the teenagers who come to Washington to work in Congress. He tried, as happens all too often, to sweep the matter under a political rug and hope that nothing would become public. Foley, Hatchett says, promised to cut out the emails, but instead he kept sending messages, not only to the page in question, but to others. Hastert needed Foley because the loss of any Republican seat threatened the party's fragile hold on Congress. He gambled he could keep the scandal long enough to maintain GOP control of the House. Congress has a long and sordid history of protecting sexual predators and other wrongdoings in its midst. In the early 1980s, Republicans knew Representative Dan Crane, Republican of Illinois, had a fondness for young women, and talk circulated on Capitol Hill that he was betting a female page. Over on the Democratic side of the aisle, Representative Jerry Studs, Democrat of Massachusetts, preferred boys, and his party tried to suppress stories about his affair with a 17-year-old male page. Both scandals hit the fan in 83, resulting in censure of both members on the floor of the House and reforms of the paid system to provide more security. Crane, who cried and asked for forgiveness from the House colleagues, 
uh, lost his re-election bid in 84. Studs, however, refused to apologize and declared his homosexuality in a speech before the House. He won re-election easily and served several more terms before retiring. Democrats controlled the House in 83. In 82, Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill had received numerous complaints about Studs' behavior, along with a request that the Ethics Committee investigate Representative Barney Frank, whose boyfriend ran a gay prostitution ring out of the Congressman's Capitol Hill townhouse. O'Neill refused to act. A few years later, D.C. vice cops arrested Frank's boyfriend and charged him with prostitution. House Republican leader Robert Michael also failed to act on complaints about Crane. It wasn't the first time he failed to act on warnings about members of his own party. In 1980, Michael ignored requests to do something about Mississippi Republican John Henson, who admitted during his campaign that the year he had been caught exposing himself on the grounds of two Iwo, Iwo Jima Memorial in Arlington, a popular gathering spot for gays on the prowl. In 1981, Capitol Hill police caught Henson performing oral sex on a male employee of the Library of Congress in the House office building bathroom. Like Foley, Henson resigned in disgrace. Congressional leaders learned nothing from the scandals. Michael would later be told of problems with Ohio Congressman Buzz Lukens and dismissed the complaints until Ohio courts convicted the Republican lawmaker on charges of sexually molesting a 15-year-old girl. Capitol Hill police also launched an investigation of charges that Lukens fondled a female elevator operator in the Capitol. He resigned from office in 1990. On the Senate side, Republican leaders for years ignored complaints about Senator Bob Packwood, Republican of Oregon. Complaints about his unwanted sexual advances toward women began to surface in 82, but no action would be taken until several victims, tired of waiting for official action, went public in 1992. Packwood finally resigned in 95 after the Senate Ethics Committee finally opened a formal inquiry. So it's no surprise that the leaders of Congress still do everything in their considerable power to protect their own from the laws that govern the rest of America. It's the nature of the beast called politics, writes your buddy Doug Thompson. In other words, all the perverts all the time. But if they do it, they can cover it up. Right. So how many uh, girls died in that horrible thing in uh, Pennsylvania? Five. You sure? You're positive? Positive. I have a report for you. Yes? Um, I have to break this in that uh, Joe Girardi was fired, and there will be a press conference at 2 o'clock that we will be carrying right here. All right. Not all right that he was fired, but, I mean, all right that we'll be carrying the press conference. And it's a damn good thing. I guess they know their stuff over there with that organization, you know, other than knowing their baseball, but they know when to put that on the air because we're certainly not going to interrupt this show to put on some stupid Marlin press conference about something that we already knew a long time ago. Didn't we do that once before? Yeah, we did do that once before. When Wonstadt got named coach of the Dolphins, or Sauer got canned, one of those deals. By the way, how do you like the uh, Saban era so far? <laughs> oh, man, what an era. Maybe it was an era in uh, hiring him. So uh, Joe Girardi gets thanked uh, for the fantastic job he did for making the Marlins season really exciting and getting him back into contention for the vile card. And uh, you're out, you're fired. But we knew that. We knew it was coming. Everybody knew that. Yes. So what where is he going now? He's going back to the Cubs? One of the Cubbies, yeah. Oh, my God. Are you, are you serious? That's what I hear. Back to the scene of the crime. You remember those uh, days when he was uh, the, the, he was uh, platooning, man, with Damon Berryhill. He was the left-handed hitter, Berryhill, and uh, Girardi was the right-handed hitter. And then Zimmer would platoon the two. You remember those great days of the Cubs, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, Girardi was a turd as a player, but... Holy cow. Neil Rogers is right. The Cubs suck. Amen. 10:41. Maybe Joe can turn them around and then get canned again. Pompano Park Racing and Poker and the American Cancer Society are holding a Think Pink Night for Breast Cancer Awareness this Saturday, October 7. Come out and see local celebrities, Alita Loresca from Fox TV 7, plus harness drivers Bruce Ranger and Wally Hennessy. How's it going, Wally? How's it going, eh? They'll all be competing in a bicycle race down the stretch, followed by an auction of their autographed bicycles, plus Bruce Ranger's driving colors, and a golf outing with Hall of Famer Wally Hennessy. For a $5 donation to the American Cancer Society, patrons are eligible for free prize drawings, including a three-day, two-night vacation for two with airfare to the Isla Capri Casino in Blackhawk, Colorado, and lots more. 
Admission and general parking, of course, like always, is free at Pompano Park Racing and Poker. Post time, 7.25 and a p.m. The smoke-free poker room is open noon till midnight every Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Don't forget, all this activity coming up this Saturday, October 7, Think Pink Night with the celebrities only at Pompano Park Racing or Poker. If you want more information on the Pompano Park schedule, call 954-972-2000 or on the Wicked Web, just check out Pompano Park. Com. The biggest names, the best talent. Right. This is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560 QAM. Hey, enough with the Panthers already. When the hell does the baseball season begin anyway, huh? I'm Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> and I'm going to set myself on fire. Jackass number three, the final chapter of the Jackass trilogy. I'm Bam Margera, and this is freestyle wood chipper diving. Woo! Jackass number three, from Zero IQ Pictures. I'm Wee Man on top of the Space Needle, and instead of a parachute, I got a backpack full of cooking utensils to run them I'm Steve-O. I'm going to gargle lighter fluid, strap this nuclear warhead to my back, and wrestle a mountain lion, dude. These stunts were performed by professionals who will not be returning for Jackass number four. 1046, 14 to 11 and 560. Boy, some exciting news. Not only is Joe Durarty get canned just moments ago by the, by the Marlins, but this uh, long press release on the uh, Panthers here is really something else. You know what it is besides something else? Long and ponderous. Yeah, it is long and ponderous. Sunrise Sports and Entertainment and the Florida Panthers announced today that 560 WQM, the flagship station for the Panthers during the 2006-07 NHL season, is once again the place to set your radio dial for complete coverage of the Panthers and everything hockey. The hockey season, by the way, the official NHL season starts tomorrow night. The Panthers in WQM boast one of the most expansive radio programs. Do you realize the Panthers play here next uh, Monday, October 9? Aren't you excited about that? You think Gildy will be calling me up and uh, offering to take me to dinner to Ruth Chris or something like uh, the night before? When are you going? I beg your pardon? So when are you going? What, to dinner? Yeah. Panthers and QM boast one of the most expansive radio programming schedules in the NHL. The amount of in-depth and diverse shoulder programming is second to none in the NHL, while the broadcast duo play-by-play man Steve Geldy Geldstein... <laughs> And color, com- uh, color commentator, Red Deer, uh, Ra- silly-ass Randy Moeller, is widely considered to be among the best in the sport. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Holy Mackinac. Wow. Who the hell wrote this stuff? This is easily the most aggressive radio programming schedule in the history of the franchise, SSE Chief Operating Officer Michael Yormark said. WQM pro- continues to provide an organization with a perfect vehicle for fans to stay connected to Florida Panthers hockey. That means we're going to have to do some more of those hockey shows. Oh, boy. Oh, let's see. I got... I beg your pardon? I said, oh, boy. Aside from broadcasting the games, QM will provide in-depth coverage of Panthers hockey through its Panthers preview show, Panthers Weekly, Panthers Weekend, and Dorset Italian Market's Panthers Insider. Along with those shows, QM personalities such as Hank Goldberg will host a number of live remotes before and after the Panther home games from inside the Bank Atlantic Center. <laughs> That's good. Hank's going to be on top of it. <laughs> which I know he knows a lot about the Panthers that and about funny. hockey. The Panther season preview show will take place Tuesday, October 3rd. Well, that's tonight, 8 to 10 p.m. Since I'm I schedule 8 to 9, of course, the show at Clarence once again screwed it up bad. Hosted by Panthers broadcast duo Steve Geldy-Geldstein. All of these things. And silly-ass Red Deer Randy Moeller. 
The two Panthers broadcasters will preview the season, taking a look at this year's team and the NHL. Every Thursday morning, oh, and by the way, uh, you missed it, George. You came in a little bit late. You know mm-hmm. who was on with uh, Kenny and Bo this morning? I give up. Uh, you get one guess. I get one guess? Yeah, Ira Oh, uh, Windbag. Yeah. Every Thursday morning on the Kenny and Bo Show, QM will air the Panthers Weekly Show. GM and head coach that obnoxious frog Jacques Martin will debut October 10th and appear every other Tuesday morning at 9.15 a.m., while Steve Gelly Gelstein will debut October 5th and appear every other Thursday morning between 9 and 10 a.m., providing insight into the week that was and the week to come with Panthers hockey. Wow. I'll tell you one thing. If they could get one fan per each word in this press release, man, we'd have a crowd. QAM's Jesse Agler and Goldstein have teamed up to host Panthers Weekend Edition. <laughs> That show sets to the debut in November, including a weekend review, and it goes on and on. Hammer and Hank Goldberg and various other QM personalities will host a number of live remotes from inside the Bank Atlantic Center before and after select Panthers home games. Panthers Roundtable begin QM's broadcast coverage on opening night from 6 to 7 p.m. As always, QM is home of Panthers hockey. All 82 games can be heard live beginning with Jesse Agler and Panthers tonight, 30 minutes prior to every game. And, of course, Jolly Joe Bell, general manager of QM, says, We're very excited to start another year. Great coverage of the Florida Panthers. Throughout the years, we've built a great relationship with the Florida Panthers. And this year, we've got some great new shows, like the new Panthers Insiders Special, which will provide fans with even more in-depth coverage of their hometown hockey club. We look forward to covering the Panthers all season long into the playoffs, he said. (laughs) And into the playoffs. That Joe, man, has he got a sense of humor or what, huh? Sure does. Well, I read the other day that one of those shills, I mean, one of the... um, Guys from the organization said this is the strongest Panther team they have had since the history of the organization. And I thought to myself, yeah, right. Florida Marlins manager Joe Girardi was fired today, a move that had been expected after his rift with owner Jeffrey Luria that boiled over in an on-field confrontation two months ago. That's bad. We like the job you did, Joe. You're a heck of a guy. Never stole a freight train. And there will be a uh, press conference today at 2 p.m., which will carry right here on QAM, by the way, because we're into it, baby. We're into it so deep we can't get out. Today at 2 in the interview room at Dolphin Stadium, and General Manager and Vice President Larry ba- and ba- Beanstalk will hold a press conference this afternoon at 2. The cost-conscious Marlins wanted Girardi out so badly, they were willing to let him go with two years left on a guaranteed three-year contract that he signed October of last year when he became a manager for the first time. At 41, he was the second youngest manager in major leagues after spending 15 years as a big league catcher. Atlanta third base coach Freddy Gonzalez is considered to be the front-runner to replace Girardi, or at least somebody whose name ends in Z. Gonzalez was runner-up in the Marlins search a year ago after Jack McKeon resigned because he turned 100 years old. And it goes on, but a beep, but a boop, but a bop, and Girardi's strained relationship with Laurie and general manager Larry Beanfest, Beinfest, became public this summer. Laurie subsequently declined to endorse the job Girardi did in his first year as manager, even though the Marlins far exceeded expectations while playing 22 rookies with a meager $15 million payroll. The rift erupted at the game August 6th when Laurier berated an umpire while sitting behind the plate. From the dugout, Girardi asked the owner to stop, witnesses said. Laurier angrily left his seat and confronted Girardi after the game during a 90-minute clubhouse meeting. Probably just kicked his ass, verbally anyway. Laurier declined to comment on the episode or respond to published reports that he fired Girardi, then changed his mind. Then it goes on, but a beep, but a boop, but about the Marlins became the first team in history to climb above 500 from 20 games under. They also became the first team to have four rookies to win 10 games, pitchers, and they set a record for most home runs by rookies with 112. How do you like that? A lot of great accomplishments there when they put, you know, no money out there, no support. And hey, Joe, great job, you're fired at it. How do you like that? How does that feel? Do, 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 do. Huh? Huh? Don't forget that press conference at 2 this afternoon. So that means don't be playing no uh, extraneous crap there, like some long song like you've been doing lately. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, right. Well, Celia Cruz is 
We're going to be interspersing some of our big hits in between the... Uh, well, we got to maintain some kind of an audience. That's right. When you think? <laughs> oh, don't get me hey, started. Hey, listen, I, I know it better than anybody. I mean, talking hockey in South Florida is like talking uh, matzo balls in the, in the North Pole. It's just, I mean, what's the point? Play, snaps it off the board, got it ahead to Higgins, three on two break. Koivu going to the front of the net as Ryder makes the shot and a pad saved there by Raycroft. Yeah, let's play this game. I think the Leafs actually won this game. One of their a few exhibition, I think they were like three and four, whatever the hell it was. Let's get the people ready for the hockey season, baby, with some hockey talk. Call up your buddy Jeff Rimmer. He'll get the Ron McLean and Don Cherry on the phone. We'll have Doug McLean on there talking crap. What do you say? All right. <laughs> you remember those days. I got Rimmer on speed dial. Don't worry, I'll get him right yeah, on. Yeah, I bet you do. 1,268 votes on our poll today about uh, Mark Foley. She's got some real problems. She checked into rehab. That was a good way to avoid going straight to jail. Did not collect $200 and did not pass go. Was it pedophile rehab? He's not a pedophile. That's what his lawyer said last oh. night, although the audience disagrees because we asked, which best describes Mark Foley, now retired and disgraced congressman? Pedophile, 368 said that. That's numero uno with a bullet. Hypocrite, 323. Do you know that he was uh, responsible for the passage of the Animals Child Protection Act? I did not know that. I just mentioned that. Hypocrite, 323. Pervert, 134. Great Republican, 126. Crazy Fag, 97. Stupid, 71. Boy, that, that deserves a lot more votes. Mm -hmm. Stupid. Who's Mark Foley, 59? Four and a half percent of this audience still, after all of this, have no idea who that is. Old Troll, 42. Even old King Cole was a merry old troll. You know that, mm -hmm. don't you? Even that King Cole. Horny, 16. I hate this pool, only 11. Eight-tenths of a percent. That's like a number they have across the street. You can relate to that, Joel, point eight. Oh! Oh, careless, 11, and desperate, 10. Desperate troll. <laughs> Maybe he had the DTs. He was a desperate troll, you think? I think so. Yeah. Well, you know, this is, uh, like I said, the October surprise. Not the one that the Bush people had in mind, I don't think. Not the one Carl Rove had in mind. No, this is a real surprise. Yeah, a chocolate surprise. 10.56 at 5.60 WQM. Don't forget, we got the press conference at 2 as the Marlins. Uh, that's bad. I'm going to put that on the air so they can, like, uh, announce that they're doing a, an aberrant. Even George agrees that that's just unacceptable. Hmm? When you say that's unacceptable? What? The firing of Joe Girardi after the great job he did this season with, with no uh, veteran players practically and with no money. Who? <laughs> like I said... It's your sports world, baby. You better get with it. You better start wearing a jockstrap to work from now on. All right. I'll wear it on my head. Like the rest of the By the way, anybody who hasn't seen that uh, clip from SNL with Tom Brady in the jockstrap, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's tremendous. It's precious. Yeah, especially when it goes over and grabs the uh, grabs her boob. Now, I wonder if he really did grab her boob. You yes, know, he I know did. It was a, do you think? Oh, those actors. It looked actors. like it to me. I only watched it 20 or 30 times. I wonder if the actress in question really minded. No, she liked it. In fact, she said, oh, let's do this again. I think I screwed up. And they said, it's live. Why do you think we call the show? Yeah, but let's do it again anyway. That's right. And then when he showed up in his jockstrap. Now, see, here we go with this uh, <laughs> stuff again. It's not, not good. This he's is not an underage Although page. Although I notice he's like 29 years old, uh, Brady. So, And, of course, what's his name? James Franco is 28. Much too old for Miss Foley, no doubt. I wanted to say in that article I read before about the fact that they knew he had a predilection to uh, boys. Right. Hmm. Well, let me, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll expand on that after the, after the break, top of the hour. It's kind of complicated. You'll have to explain it in great no, detail. No, I'm serious. I mean, haven't I said this before? If you're, if you're like, attracted to somebody like uh, 16, 17-year-old boys or girls, why not find ones who are, like, of legal age? Another year or two older would be good, you know what I'm saying? That's no fun. Oh, I see. It's called death wish, I guess. Yeah. 
Anyway, if your carpets have a death wish, don't call Dry Concepts. But if you'd like to keep them clean and sanitary, do what I've been doing for over 21 years in my homes. Call the experts, man, because they'll make your carpets look just like you had brand new laid on the floor. You know, in South Florida, people go, tend to go long periods of time without opening the windows, which breeds even more unhealthy conditions. The mold and schmutz gets down there deep in your carpets. More reason to have dry concepts dry clean your carpets on a regular basis. Your carpets last longer. They stay cleaner longer. Come out softer. The colors come out looking brighter, and your house smells lemony fresh, too. It's a real, as they say in China, machaya. And Dry Concepts has even got a plan to make frequent cleaning easy at a fraction of the cost of regular cleaning. I guarantee you'll never have a dirty carpet again if you call Dry Concepts. And don't forget, they give you a guaranteed written price up front before they start doing their unbeatable, fabulous job. In Broward, call Dry Concepts at 954-370-7778. That's 954-370-7778. Or in Dayton, Palm Beach, it's a toll-free call, 1-800-248-5071. That's 1-800-248-5071. Clean today and entertain tonight when you call Dry Concepts. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560, QAM. This is the Neil Rogers Show. This is your brain. Any questions? Oh, Everybody, Bill Clinton's fighting. My temper's fast as lightning. In fact, I'm a little bit frightening. When people say I'm lying. When my finger starts to wag and my face is turning red. You had better turn and run before I can go upside your head. Next time I stain some clothes, we'll be with the blood from your nose. No one gets as mad as me, except for Hillary. Everybody, Bill Clinton's fighting. You best go into hiding. Cause my blood pressure's rising. And soon you will be crying. Oh, oh, oh. Eleven oh three at five sixty WQM. So that's my advice to you: start checking ID. Okay. In other words, nineteen or twenty is uh, sure as hell beat sixteen or seventeen. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, with a stick, I imagine. When in doubt, avoid avoid jailbait. By that the way, look what I found. What'd you find? Oh, why don't we play? Here we go. Since you mentioned it, and I didn't have it before. Oh, it's the birds in my back pages. There what a talk-up, man. This, this old fart, this old queen, Beautiful. this old troll. Anyway, Mike Whitney writes, speaking of old trolls, his column in The Smirking Chimp today is called Buggergate. <laughs> or is that Boogergate? At any rate, it's rare, rare when a scandal hits Washington that's actually enjoyable to follow. But Mark Foley's really put the punch back into politics. Who would have guessed that after six years of slaughtering and torturing people in their own countries, the American people could be so incensed about one rogue congressman bumping boys in his off hours? It just shows what trivial people we've become. Congress is a moral cesspool. It didn't take fully to prove that. It's the epicenter of American corruption, the very heart of the beast. If we had any sense, we'd send in the fire trucks and hose out the whole place and then take a wrecking ball to the rotunda. The system is so far gone and so polluted with corporate money it's no longer salvageable. Just bring in the dozers and we'll start fresh. 
Foley is what commonly is called the canary in the coal mine. The metaphor suggests that the canary will die before a man when there's a lack of oxygen in the mine shaft. The same rule applies to Washington. The sanction-wielding, torture-approving, warmongering Congress has sucked the air out of a once-great institution and left it in the shambles. By the time Bush's term is over, the only thing left will be the rubber stamp they used to endorse his dictatorial powers and a scattering of Krispy Kremes outside Hastert's office. <laughs> oh, that explains a lot. The Foley scandal is a charade which leads nowhere. Everyone knows that Washington is little better than a Vegas knocking shop where wealthy patrons plop down their money and get whatever they want. It's a wonder that we have to go through the whole drill over and over again like the reruns of Survivor. Is there someone in America who didn't already know that the party of sanctimony and self-righteousness is really a cover for horny hypocrites who are on the take? Or that the only thing the Democrats are good for is feigning indignation when the Republican crimes bubble to the surface? Or that the Fourth Estate has no role in informing the public, but is simply a sounding board for corporate-sponsored propaganda or red herring for cheesy sex scandals and macabre murder investigations? There's nothing to learn here for anyone who's already been paying attention. Foley is just the tip of the iceberg. Congress is like a cracked sewer pipe from which the fetid effluent of our political life continues to surge. We ought to buy every congressman a bus ticket back home and then board up the place for good and say, good riddance. How do you like that? Good old Mike Whitney. Mm -hmm. What does he say here? Bumping, one row congressman bumping boys in his off hours. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe they want, he wanted to ride the bumper cars. I still want to know what it is that happened in San Diego that he remembered so fondly. One can only begin to imagine. I don't want to. Oh. Well, I wouldn't uh, know about any of those things. Anyway, uh, my, uh, oh, I can't believe Jeff Greenfield on CNN actually said something. That's a first. He says, could Foley's, could Foley's follies hurt the GOP? He says, it's October, so surprise. The most politically explosive writing that hit Washington last week wasn't what's in Bob Woodward's pages. It was those alleged emails between Mark Foley and at least a couple of congressional pages and what the House Republican leadership did or didn't do last fall. If you want one clue about the political fallout from all this, you can look back more than 20 years ago. And then he goes on about Daniel Crane and Jerry Studs. And, but it'd be, Crane was repentant, tearfully apologized to his wife and family, and asked for forgiveness. As the rules require, he stood in the well of the House to receive his censure and faced his colleagues. By contrast, Studs was unrepentant. He said the relationship was legal and consensual, talked about the difficulties of being a gay man in America, and when the House censured him, he turned his back on his colleagues as if to reject their censure. The next year, Crane, who had been an outspoken advocate of family values, was soundly defeated by voters in his conservative district. Studs was re-elected handily and served in the House for more than a dozen years until his retirement. What's the relevance? Well, consider the role of social conservatives like those who attended the recent Family Research Council gathering in Washington. They fill the ranks of GOP turnout operations at election time. Some, like the unctuous James Dobson, a focus on the family, have already expressed disappointment in how Republicans have treated their priorities like gay marriage and abortion. As the earlier scandal shows, such conservatives are especially likely to punish sexual misbehavior. And they can, if they conclude the top Republican leaders didn't pursue such behavior when they learned of it, the political consequences, diminished enthusiasm, and lower turnouts could be severe. The specifics of this issue are entangled in dispute. Were the earlier alleged sexually explicit communications leaked with the political agenda in mind? Did the leadership see only the less explicit communications? But if the campaign season doesn't deal well with subtleties, if the story ends up convincing social conservatives that the Republican Party has let them down, a lot of the calculations about what will happen in November go right out the window. Wouldn't that be a shame, huh? It's October, so surprise! Wow. Calling for House Speaker Dennis Hasser to resign his leadership position. Its editorial board says the Republican... Washington Times says time to step down, fatso, and leave us the Krispy Kremes, please. And you notice that? There's, there's the leader of the Congress, leader of the House. 
Mm-hmm. Leader of the pack. He's eating. Uh, he's not eating no Dunkin' Donuts, Josh. He's eating Krispy Kremes. All for me. That's right. Which is why he weighs about 600 pounds and is just as big as a cow. Two more children died today, this morning, of wounds from the shootings at the Amish schoolhouse, raising the death toll to five girls, plus the gunman. Oh, I see. That's why it's six. Five right. girls plus him. Mm-hmm. See that? Right. I don't know what it he is. Who count. apparently was spurred by a two-decades-old grudge. Do we know what the grudge is about yet? No. Yeah. What are you eating now? Not donuts. No, trail mix. Trail mix. Oh, God. The pizza isn't here yet from Tony's. No. The toll from the country's third deadly school shooting in less than a week rose twice within a matter of hours Tuesday with the deaths of a nine-year-old girl at Christiana Hospital. The Bush administration on Monday called for a school violence summit to be held next week with education and law enforcement officials to discuss possible federal action to help communities prevent violence and deal with its aftermath. I think I know who ought to be in charge of that school summit to make sure that the kids are safe as soon as he gets out of rehab. Who that? State police spokeswoman Lynette Quinn said the two girls who died early this morning had suffered very severe injuries, but the other ones are coming along very well. Thanks, God. The nine-year-old girl, about 1 a.m., and the seven-year-old girl died about 4.30 this morning. Her parents were with her. Hospital spokesman Amy Bueller-Stranger said that the younger victim, she was taken off life support and passed away shortly after. Authorities said the gunman, Charles Carl Roberts IV, wrote what authorities described as suicide notes, took guns and ammunition, and went to a nearby one-room schoolhouse where he opened fire on several girls and took his own life. He chased all the boys outside and then uh, tied the girls up. Is this live what we're, uh, we're seeing here? Let's see now. Then you also no, it's not. Had all right, the news about the national He's in rehab. You're not going to see Mark oh, Foley live now. He's in rehab. He's probably got his own private uh, uh, Blackberry in there now, too, untraceable. <laughs> Sending those incestuous instant messages. Roberts brought with him supplies necessary for a lengthy siege, including three guns, a stun gun, two knives, a pile of wood, and a bag with 600 rounds of ammunition. 600 rounds, baby. He also had a change of clothing, toilet paper, that's always good to have, and uh, paper bolts and hardware, and rolls of clear tape. He released about 15 boys, a pregnant woman, and three women with infants, barred the doors with desks and wood, and secured them with nails, bolts, and flexible plastic ties. He then made the girls line up along a blackboard and tied their feet together. But we still don't know what the deal was 20 years ago that he claims he was getting revenge for, etc. Just a crazy right. person. Right. Another crazy person. Even the Amish can be crazy. And, of course, there are a lot of people who said for right. years that they are living in the Stone Age. Well, he, he wasn't one. He was. An Amish? Yes. Where did you get that? They had saw that this morning on there. Okay. They said he was Amish. What the hell would he be living in that community that. for crying out loud, huh? This was in uh, Nichols, uh, Nickel and Dime, uh, Pennsylvania. Those are public roads. A lot of people Nickel drive mines. around there. Didn't he drive he up lived there? He lived right by the school. You better start getting on top of your news stories, mister, because right. you're out of touch. All right. I think your blood sugar is probably about 750 if you ask me eating all that crap. I need and when the pizza something. comes there, uh, it's going to go tilt. You'll see. That was fun to swoon. Foley. The Republican lawmaker spoke in an exclusive interview with CNN's Sean Caleb. Sean is with us now from Monroe, Louisiana. And, Sean, good to see you again. Majority Leader Boehner is saying the Speaker needed to do more. And my, I guess the, the Congressman is standing in support of the Speaker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no crack in his support for Speaker Hastert. We uh, spoke with him last night. No crack. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a little number in there, you know what? 1,330 votes on our poll today. There, there, we could get like 2 million votes today. It'll knock all this Foley stuff out of the newspapers, off TV. It'll be on the front page of the Palm Beach Post, the uh, Herald. The Herald, by the way, and of course we saw that yesterday, they had this stuff months and months ago, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. St. Pete Times, the Herald, and Fox News also, by the way. I just mentioned that in passing. And Tom Fiedler's on there with his, uh, you know, here, this, this is the thing that cracks me up big time. 
Well, it was kind of vague and ambiguous, you know, when he asked the kid for his picture. I mean, talk about a little bit slow. This is the same guy who was chasing down Gary Hart and Donna Rice years ago, and now he, I, I think he's just uh, lost it. Not that he ever had it. Just a little bit slow. When a 52-year-old congressman is trolling for uh, sex on the Internet, and he's asking kid, Cleo, oh, you know, what are you doing and send me a picture of yourself? What, what does that tell you? Gee, I don't know. Anytime an adult sends a 16-year-old or, or younger kid uh, an email or an instant message saying, send me your picture, what does that say? They Maybe. just want to add it to their collection? That's right. Maybe they work for the DMV. That could be it. most disturbing thing is just simply not fair. The young man has gotten caught up in something, that, and he's getting bruised for something that he's... He's getting bruised, okay? Bruised and tattooed. That's what I think uh, Mark had in mind. Hey, Mark. You fairy. But he'll be in rehab for a long, long time, wouldn't you think? It yeah. was the booze that done it. It's either That's always right. the booze or the drugs that done it. God almighty, when the hell is that excuse uh, going to start wearing off, huh? 14 past 11. Don't forget, we got the Mad Dog. We got the Power Hour, Hank 5 to 7. Then we got Geldy. All that Panther stuff. Maybe I'll read that press release again. But I don't the biggest names of the best talents. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560. Q-A-M. Florida Panthers hockey. Drop that talk. The Florida Panthers open the 2006 season against the Boston Bruins at the Bank Atlantic Center. Coverage starts at 7 p.m. with Panthers preview. Treated by J.M. Lexus on Sports Radio 560 QAM. We're the flagship station. Hello, I'm Barbara Billingsley of the Florida Marlins. I just thought you might want to know we have season tickets still on sale for 110 bucks. Why, that's less than five cents for an exciting game of baseball. Uh, you wouldn't want to buy any of these, would you? I mean, we got some players with cool names this season, like Jesus Sanchez, Joe Fenstablau, Bad Penny, Ricky Bones, Brother Don Cornelius and Sister Rose, Ryan Dumpster, Don Knotts, and Nelson B. Helper. Mm, if you show up, well, I guess I will, too. Because if you do, then i got to get up. 1119 at 560 WQ. Don't forget, 2 o'clock this afternoon, we got that big Marlins press conference. We have no idea what it's going to be about, except to announce they fired Joe Girardi. Right. And they're bringing in a new manager whose name ends in Zed. And you're right. Okay, you're going to rub it in. No, I don't want to rub it Charles in. Charles Carl Roberts, 432, uh, was not Amish. He was a father right. of three from nearby Bart Township. It's not rubbing was it in. It's not Amish. Yeah, just keeping it in. He appeared to be targeting the Amish, apparently chose the school because he was bent on killing young girls as a way of acting out in revenge for something that happened 20 years ago that we still don't know what the hell it is. Maybe so all we know down. now is that... Um, he wasn't Amish. I told you. I thought he drove up there is, uh, when I heard the story originally. He threw up there? Well, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't doubt it. Former U.S. President Bill Clinton to try to hit, uh, try to hit on Demi Moore, her husband Ashton Coochie Koo has said. Coocher, the star of hit MTV show Punk, told Chat Host, Chat Host, well, this uh, must be in some Brit thing, right? right? Told uh, Jay Leno that Clinton made eyes at his superstar wife during a recent function. Kutcher said that Kutcher Kutcher said that all the three were all sat at a table next to each other. He felt like the Invisible Man. He says Clinton didn't say one word to him the whole evening as he was so engrossed with ghost actress Moore. Yeah, she ain't much, but she's better than him. I, I bet she likes Dinty Moore too, no doubt. Probably. And I met Bill Clinton once, but he really didn't talk. He was sitting on my wife. Kutcher told Leno. Leno. <laughs> Leno. Remember that Ranieri used to call him Jay Leno. <laughs> right. We liked Ranieri, though. Too bad he's not still around. The 28-year-old Butterfly Effect actor celebrated his first wedding anniversary with Moore 43 on Sunday, said Clinton completely ignored him as he chatted to Demi. I don't think he looked at me the whole time, Kutcher said. I was like the guy who wasn't there. Well, he's just not your type, uh, Ashton. Right. The way it goes. 
and the other way around. Maybe if he was a fat intern. Or maybe if he would have been a few years younger, if he would have been still 16, like I told you that picture, that model picture when he was a model. Right. He looked really good then. I bet you that uh, he could have gotten a trip to Congress, sure. a trip to D.C. Looked awfully girly. Taking his balls right into the halls of Congress. <laughs> anyway, can we can we get off of that for a second or two? I probably don't have more than four or five hundred. I don't have any more stories about that. Good. All right. I mean, well, what else is there to say besides just go to our website, read all the stuff, and, you know... And, of course, he's in rehab because it was the booze that made him do it. Not the fact that he had some sexual attraction for these uh, 16-year-old boys. I mean, that was only a small part of it. He, he wasn't sure it was a small part. That's why I kept asking those questions. I've been asking around, talking to people. Everybody I know, when they, when they get drunk, they, they get really gay and pedophilic. Well, no, I mean, we knew about the... Uh, gay. Everybody knew that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that he was a pedophile. Like I said, better idea is start checking ID next time. Okay, Mark? Next time. Records show that George Tennant briefed uh, Condom Lisa on Al-Qaeda threat, even though she says she doesn't remember. Yeah. She didn't remember anything. Yeah, she's got CA now. She's got convenient Alzheimer's, that gap-toothed bitch. A review of White House records has determined that George Tennant, then the director of the CIA, did brief Condom Lisa uh, and other top officials on July 10, 2001, about the looming threat from Al-Qaeda, a State Department spokesman said yesterday. The account by Sean McCormick came hours after Ms. Rice, the Secretary of State, Told report when he says that I just I, mm. I don't know whether to scream. It's like listening to uh, Rita Crosby again when uh, Bob Woodward gets on. This is the Secretary of State. You know, I'm starting to get some sick pleasure out of you uh, popping that on. Popping what on? That Rita business. Oh well, let, let me go over to MSNBC because she might be it, on there. If any other if any other breathless stories come on, they always right. get her for the breathless story. Like to quote inappropriate emails to young pages. Oh no. Anyway, the account by Sean McCormick came hours after Ms. Rice told reporters aboard her airplane she didn't recall a specific meeting July 10th, noting that she had met repeatedly with Mr. Tennant that summer about terrorist threats. Ms. Rice, the national security advisor at the time, and now, of course, the Secretary of State, said it was incomprehensible she ignored dire terrorist threats two months before the 9-11 attacks. Incomprehensible to us, yes, you bitch, you slut, you incompetent idiot. McCormick also said records show that the 9-11 Commission was informed about the meeting, a fact that former intelligence officials and members of the Commission confirmed yesterday. When details of the meeting emerged last week in a new book by Bob Woodward of the Washington Post, Bush administration officials questioned Mr. Woodward's reporting. Now, after several days, both current and former Bush administration officials have confirmed parts of Mr. Woodward's account. Officials now agreed that on July 10, 2001, Tenet and his counterterrorism deputy, Jay Kofor Black, were so alarmed about an impending al-Qaeda attack they demanded an emergency meeting at the White House with Condom Lisa and her National Security Council staff. According to two former intelligence officials, this is in the New York Times, by the way, Tenet told those assembled at the White House about the growing body of intelligence at the CIA that they had collected pointing to an impending al-Qaeda attack. But both current and former officials took issue with Mr. Woodward's account that Tenet and his aides left the meeting in frustration, feeling as if Ms. Rice had ignored them. Tenet told members of the 9-11 Commission about the July 10th meeting when they interviewed him early in 2004, but committee members said the former CIA director never indicated he'd left the White House with the impression that he'd been ignored. Tenet never told us he was brushed off, said Richard Benveniste, a Democratic member of the Commission. We certainly would have followed that up. McCormick said the records show that far from ignoring Mr. Tenet's warnings, Condom Lisa acted on the intelligence and requested that Tenet make the same presentation to Defense Secretary Hermann Göring Rumsfeld and Attorney General Ascroft. But Ashcroft said by telephone yesterday, last night, that he never received a briefing that summer from Mr. Tennant. Frankly, I'm disappointed I didn't get that kind of briefing, he said. I'm surprised he didn't think it was important enough to come by and tell me. So it's, it's just like the uh, Mark Foley stuff. Nobody told this one, nobody told that one. Everybody was in the dark. Like with Johnny, everybody was in the dark. But we sure haven't played one of those things in a long time. Although I think I did play one the other day. Mm -hmm. I can't play that one. Johnny died! 
Which, which one? Johnny Darso. Absolutely. Cool. Anyway, this goes on. Mr. Tennant's not completing work on a memoir that's scheduled to be published early next year. So, in other words, he's not going to tell too much because we want you to go out and buy the book. At any rate, she's incompetent. And they just didn't give a crap about that. And, of course, who the hell knows what other uh, factors were involved there. They were in a panic, and, of course, the White House was saying, Oh, we're Don't worry fine. about it, okay? We got uh, some plans here. Frisco, Texas. I never heard of, uh, heard of Crisco. I bet you Mark Foley's heard about that, too, but I've heard of, never heard of Frisco. Did you? Not By the way, that guy who shot those girls, he was not Amish. Okay. Well, Amish don't, Amish don't run around with guns, number one, although they do uh, use them for hunting. They got some rifles, but uh, they don't have that kind of gear like that guy had. They don't? Or a truck to drive up there. Yeah. So, in other words, he w- if he wouldn't have shot himself, he could have watched it all about it on TV afterward. That's but he right. had to go out and find somewhere where they had a TV because they sure wouldn't have had one in the school. No. Or anywhere like in the hood. 26 after 11 at 560 WQAM. Isn't it time you took the stress and worry out of last-minute hurricane preparations? So many people, I guess it's just human nature, they wait till the last minute when it's too late, when the hurricane is about five blocks from blowing your house away, and then forget about it. The hurricane shutter outlet manufactures easy-to-use accordion shutters, and now they'll even provide extra installation, too, if you want them to. Call 954-237-7083. They feature roll-downs, accordions, panels, too. Just let the hurricane shutter outlet custom make or even install shutters for you. Call 954-237-7083 right now. Get on your way to top-notch protection and real peace of mind. The Hurricane Shutter Outlet is family-owned and operated. They've been doing it a long time. They're licensed, insured, and Dave Broward and Palm Beach County approved. They stock all sizes of clear polycarbonate hurricane panels and aluminum panels, cut to your specifications, and ready for pickup or delivery. And like I said, if you want, they'll install them for you, too. The public and all contractors are welcome. Major credit cards accepted. And if you mention my name, tell them that old Neil, the old troll, sent you by. You get 100 bucks off on a minimum order of 350 square feet. The Hurricane Shutter Outlet, call 954 954- 237-7083 or log on to their website, hurricaneshutteroutlet.com. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560. <laughs> song, baby. We hate. Not necessarily anybody in particular or for any particular reason, but we just, we hate. Big uh, press conference for the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania police about that Amish shooting coming up at noon. Then we got the Marlins press conference at 2. Frisco, Texas, keep the art in smart and hard. Sidney McGee had posted on our website at Wilma Fisher Elementary School in this moneyed boom town that's gobbling up the farm fields north of Dallas. Frisco. But Ms. McGee, 51, a popular art teacher with 28 years in the classroom, is out of a job after leading her fifth grade classes last April through the Dallas Museum of Art. One of her students saw nude art in the museum, and after the child's parent complained, the teacher was suspended in it. Although the tour had been approved by the principal and the 89 students were accompanied by four other teachers, at least 12 parents and a museum docent, Ms. McGee said. What is a docent? I'll look it up. D-O-C-E-N-T. She was called to the principal next day and bashed. What the hell is a docent? Sounds to me like it was indecent, not docent. 
She later received a memorandum in which the principal, Nancy Lawson, wrote, During a study trip that you planned for fifth graders, students were exposed to nude statues and other nude art representations. It said additional complaints which Ms. McGee has challenged. What is docent? I'm looking. No. Oh. The school board suspended her with pay September 22. In a newsletter emailed to parents this week, the principal and Rick Reedy, superintendent of the Frisco Independent School District, said that Ms. McGee had been denied transfer to another school in the district, that her annual contract would not be renewed, and that a replacement had been interviewed. In other words, bye-bye. The episode has dumbfounded and exasperated many in and out of this mushrooming uh, exurb, where nearly two dozen... So what is docent? Still loaded. Oh. A college or university time? teacher or lecturer, a person who leads... Guided tours, especially a museum, a a museum, museum or uh, gallery. Guided tour person, okay. Yes. A representative of the State Texas Teachers Association, which has sprung to Ms. McGee's defense, calls it the first nudity in museum case we've ever seen. If John Ascroft would have been just there to cover it up with uh, some of those uh, blankets, some of those sheets, mm-hmm. we could have called in that kid. He could have used his towel to cover up some of that bad stuff. Teachers get in trouble for a variety of reasons, said the Association's General Counsel, Kevin Lungwitz, but I've never heard of a teacher getting in trouble for taking her kids on an approved trip to an art museum. John Lane, director of the museum, said he had no information why Ms. McGee had been disciplined. I think you can walk into the Dallas Museum of Art and see nothing that would cause concern, Mr. Lane said. I wonder if he's kin to Lois or Frankie. Over the past decade, more than a half a million students, including about a thousand from other Frisco schools, have toured the museum's collection of 26,000 works spanning 5,000 years, he said, without a single complaint. One school recently did cancel a scheduled visit. He said he didn't have its name. The uproar has swamped Frisco's school switchboards and prompted some Dallas area TV stations to broadcast images of statues from the museum with areas of the anatomy blacked out. Ms. Lawson and Mr. Reedy didn't return calls. A spokeswoman for the school district referred question to the school board's lawyer, Randy Gibbs. Mr. Gibbs said there was a parent who complained relating the complaint of a child, but said he didn't know the details. Probably saw a bunch of boobies. <laughs> in the May 18th memorandum to Ms. McGee, Ms. Lawson faulted her for not displaying enough student art and for wearing flip-flops to work. Ms. McGee said she was wearing Via Spiga brand sandals. What the hell is that, Via Spiga? <laughs> Sorry, you got me. Inciting the students' exposure to nude art, Ms. Lawson also said time wasn't used wisely for learning during the trip, adding that parents and teachers had complained that Ms. McGee should have toured the route by herself first, but Ms. McGee said she did exactly that. Fibber McGee. In the latest of several statements, the district contended that the trip had been poorly planned, but Mr. Gibbs, the district lawyer, acknowledged that Ms. Lawson had approved of it. Oh, another, another big tempest in a peapod, man. Mm-hmm. Now they're a bunch of crazy people. Oh, my God, they took it to a museum and the kids saw a bunch of uh, boobies and big deal. Big Simmons. Maybe they were big. Nah, that could be it. How big? That's what Mark Foley wants to know. How big is it? Not the boobies, I imagine. No. Tubies. <laughs> Since the beginning of the year, there have been 25 shootings at or near schools nationwide. Seven of the shootings, three in the last week alone, have been fatal. They're dying over there. I'm dying over here. With the exception of a 15-year-old Wisconsin teenager who allegedly killed a high school principal at school last Friday, the gunmen in these recent attacks appear to be getting older. The killings began August 24th, when a 27-year-old man walked into an elementary school in Essex, Vermont, killed two teachers and wounded two other people before turning the gun on himself. He survived his injuries, damn it. Last week, a 53-year-old homeless man molested several girls before killing one girl and himself in Bailey, Colorado. And then yesterday, that 32-year-old milk driver, he wasn't uh, Amish, by the way. The milk truck driver lined Amish school children up against the blackboard of their one-room schoolhouse and shot five young girls before turning the gun on himself. Three died in the schoolhouse, and now it's four and uh, plus him. Five plus him. Right. Experts say the shootings could be copycats of each other. Today's tragedy becomes the event that plants the seed for tomorrow's crisis, said Ronald Stevens of the National School Safety Center. 
The recent rash of shootings evoked some painful images like those seen during the late 1990s, spate of school killings, most memorably at Columbine. Since the Columbine massacre, some experts say, the country hasn't done much to protect schools as some might think. The overwhelming majority of schools in the U.S. do not have security cameras or metal detectors. Fewer than half have security personnel on campus. Maybe they need a docent. The common refrain over and over is that we never thought it would happen here, and it is when we have it can't happen here mentality. That's when we're most vulnerable, said Ken Trump of the National School Safety and uh, Security Services. Between 1992 and 2002, in those 10 years, 462 people, including students and faculty, were killed at schools across the U.S. Eh? I'm dying over here. That's only like 46.2 a year, right? Yeah, that's it. That ain't bad. Yeah, don't be knocking the U.S., man, just because you got a bunch of crazy people with guns. I got a grievance, okay, over something that happened 20 years ago. So, you know, the logical thing is I'm going to go to school and type a bunch of little kids and shoot them. Right? Let's do it. And then blow my brains out. Why didn't you just blow his brains out first? Would have been a good yeah, idea. Would have been a good idea. Mm-hmm. Drop the kids off. 1383 the bus on that pool, baby. We're going to top 1500 today. They are Mark Foley intensive. In fact, let me take a look at those stats from yesterday. Let's see if they're still heavy duty all over that story, like stink on Joyce. They ought to be. 891. Mark Foley instant message chats with congressional page has had 891 readings since we put yeah. it on our 10:30 yesterday morning. Uh, for example, a, a typical story on any other day has how many readings? Like 30 or? Oh no, 20? I wouldn't say that. I mean, a good story get like a couple hundred. Really? Like, like, like for example, the second one today, yesterday had 589. We had three with over 500. That's pretty unusual. Yeah, it is. How Mark Foley represents Brit Hume and Fox News had 589. Things Fall Apart by uh, Frank Rich had 581. Yeah, all about Foley. I beg your pardon. All those stories that you just mentioned about Foley. No, uh, Things Fall Apart wasn't. I don't think. Okay. Bend over for more Republican chicanery, a post-election huh? recession, 390. Well, they saw bend over. They must have thought it was Mar- Mar- Mark Foley. That had almost, almost 400, too. Now, it's interesting. A typical story on air, I would say, gets, I don't know, 150, 200. Okay. And, of course, anything that's got to do with sex gets like yeah. a zillion. That's right. I'm telling you, change the headlines. If you want to get a lot more reads on there, Josh, will just I'll, what I'll do is I'll just start putting a different headline on each right. story when I send it to you. Something spicy in every Just give me yeah. to go, man. I'll make up my own headline. Oh, <laughs> yeah, if anybody needs perverted uh, sexual headlines, here's a guy who could probably uh, have a good imagination. I'll Maybe spice it up a notch. Maybe I, I could help. Will. Yeah. <laughs> what a bunch of preverts. Like I said, Mark, point. check ID. Start checking ID, sweetheart. Too late. Oh. Horse is gone. Horse is down the road? Yeah. I bet it was one of them Amish horses from uh, Pennsylvania. That was really something, seeing them buggies there, and then, of course, seeing uh, the guys with the big hats and uh, the beards, you know, look like Abe Lincoln on a bad day. I know. Well, what's the use? Listen, if, if they're free to uh, do that, if that's what they believe and they want to live that way, they're, exactly. at least they're not going to go around running harming anybody else. Exactly. I have no problems with the Amish. You know, they might be silly, but they're minding their own business. And they're peaceful, like they're right. Quakers. Of course, Nixon was a Quaker. I mean, how many thousand people died because of... About 30, man. He was a Quaker, though. He was a peaceful man and a liar. And a butcher, and a murderer, and a crook. But uh, not, aside from that, oh, here again, X-rated emails. Four, which is alleged to be Foley's screen name, writing to a teenager. Isn't quote, that Nora I miss you lots since San Diego. The teen says, "Yeah, can't wait till D.C. Did you pick a night for dinner? Not yet, but likely Friday. Okay, I'll plan for Friday then." 
Let me ask you about that. That implies that uh, there's going to be a face-to-face -face encounter. And what's ironic about all Doesn't of this, Doesn't it also Susan, imply that there was one in San Diego or something happened there? You know what I'm talking about? Legislation like, that would that. make it a crime to use the Internet to persuade, induce, or entice someone under 18 to engage in sexual activity. So it was even breaking the laws that he himself helped write. Isn't that like the fox guarding the chicken coop? The irony is staggering and the hypocrisy. Oh, you tell them, Susan. Well, I can't stand her. She's like she's like SNBC's answer to Nancy Grace, Susan Filan. She's on her like every 10 seconds. That would be the ultimate irony. But the question remains, did he commit a crime? And that, in large part, is going to depend. I guess it all depends on when they went to dinner, who was eating what, wouldn't you say? Yeah. yeah. 18 Del Luna QM experienced the difference at Mercedes-Benz of Pompano. Mercedes-Benz of Pompano is now under new ownership and new management. And at Mercedes-Benz of Pompano, it doesn't matter what time of month you buy a vehicle, whether it's the brand-new 2007 E-Class, their full line of convertibles, or their large selection of certified pre-owned cars. When you choose Mercedes-Benz of Pompano, you've got over 200 employees dedicated to providing incomparable service for you, like complimentary loaner vehicles and complimentary car washes, too. Browse their indoor expo with over 150 new and used vehicles or click on to BenzPompano.com. Mercedes-Benz of Pompano, they're open every day of the week, Monday through Friday, 9 to 8, Saturday, 9 to 6, and every Sunday, noon to 5. Experience the difference. Call 1-800-NEW-BENZ. You'll find them at I-95 and Copens Road. That's 1-800-NEW-BENZ for Mercedes-Benz of Pompano, a Mercedes-Benz dealer like no other. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560, QAM. Neil got out of the where the is. Oy. They rocked on CBS. Now they're rocking the Civic Arena. star Supernova. Rock and Roll's best known poison. Featuring that one guy with a goatee from Metallica. The dude with the sideburns who took over for that other dude right before Guns N' Roses broke up. And the drummer on that video with Pam Anderson on the boat. Plus, the new guy who won the contest nobody watched on TV. Rock star Supernova. See them live performing all their hits like... And... If you love the NXS Tour with a new guy, what's his name, with his short hair, you won't want to miss the concert event of the millennia, Rockstar Supernova. So when we get the uh, new guy to replace Kurt Cobain, so we have another movie about um, that. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. 1,400 and some odd votes, 1,411, 1,416, and we got uh, 65 people say, who's Mark Foley? 4.5%. Like that. Hader Rizvi writes, border fence could spell environmental disaster on CommonDreams.org. Hmm. Uh, he says environmental groups are concerned about that new plan to build a 700-mile-long fence along the Mex border with Mexico. The official plan, as envisaged in a legislative bill on immigration reforms, is meant to stop the flow of undocumented workers from Mexico, but scientists say it will bring nothing but disaster for the biological diversity of the region. Disaster. The only living things the walls won't stop are people, said Michael Finkelstein, executive director at the uh, Tuscan, Arizona. I'm sure it's supposed to be Tucson, but it's with an A. Okay. Tucson, Arizona-based Center for Biological Diversity in a statement. It says Tuscan. Idiots. Finkelstein and other independent experts fear that the proposed fence will restrict the movement of wildlife and disturb the unique and fragile ecology of the region. 
The border area is home to many endangered species of plants, birds, and animals such as owls, parrots, jaguars, wolves, bears, and lions that often need to move around as an essential element of their survival. According to experts on biological diversity, some jaguars found in Arizona come from Mexico. I wonder what Lou Dobbs thinks about that. Alaska. Send them back. Mm -hmm. Similarly, Mexican gray wolves, peninsular bighorn sheep, and other endangered species need to cross their borderland habitat often, said Finkelstein, and this wall will crush their ability to survive. The 2,000-mile-long U.S.-Mexican border region is considered an extraordinary source of biological diversity because it is shaped by a variety of ecological forms, including deserts, mangrove forests, plains, mountains, river valleys, and wetlands. The Senate approved the legislation on Friday. Now waits only a signature from President Bush. The proposal seeks to construct a series of barriers separated by an access road for patrol vehicles on long stretches of the border in California, Arizona, Texas, and New Mexico. I wonder if that includes Tuscan. The immigration bill passed by the House doesn't provide funding for the fence, but Republicans have suggested it would cost around $2 billion. Democrats say it would cost no less than $7 billion. But what's a few billion among friends, right? Right. Supporters of the fence plan say it would enhance border protection from illegal immigrants crossing from Mexico and provide security against its possible use by terrorists, by evildoers. We have to come to grips with the fact that our border patrol agents need a fence on our southern border. We are now facing infiltration by members of terrorist organizations like Hezbollah, said Representative Ed Royce, California Republican. For their part, Democrats have charged Republicans with trying to use the immigration issue to attract votes in the upcoming congressional elections. They're trying to confuse Americans into thinking Osama is heading north in a sombrero, said Texas Democrat Lloyd Doggett. I wonder if he's kin to Bill Doggett. Remember Honky Tonk Parks 1 and 2? Sure. Bill Doggett? No, you don't. You do? Mm-hmm. You got him? One moment, please. Oh. There it is. Bill Doggett, baby. What, 1959, 60? 58. 59. You know, I don't know. Well, why not? This is one that I ripped. It's not from that uh, music collection. Oh. That's got to okay, be fixed something. That's part two, by the way. The proposed legislation allows the Department of Homeland Security to take charge of the border in 18 months and gives additional powers to the Border Security Force agents Besides calling for a study on the need for a fence along the U.S.-Canada border, eh? Oh, yeah. Let's have a big old fence. Anybody who don't like it will just take them right to Niagara Falls and <coughs> shove them over the edge. How's that sound? Sounds good. In the world of American political campaign finance, Senator Swillery Clinton is a maverick. Since her first run for the Senate in 2002, Hillary has raised more than $45 million from donors, a figure never before attained by a congressional candidate. This extraordinary fundraising by the junior senator from New York takes on greater import given her widely speculated uh, presidential hopes. No Senate candidate has ever raised more money from other people than Senator Clinton has, said Massey Rich, speaking for the campaign finance watchdog Center for Responsive Politics. But our count, by our count, she's number one recipient of money from 27 different industries, from accountants to Hollywood. By the way, you did see that Mark Foley gave 100 grand to the other Republican, a bunch of other Republicans no, this summer? I did not. And now they're speculating that maybe it was kind of like hush money. But that's a speculation, you understand. In donations accrued during the 2006 senatorial election cycle alone, Hillary has already topped $35 million, more than eight times the receipts of all her challengers combined it. Despite continuing insistence from her campaign team that her only focus is the Senate, her extensive pursuit of donors nationwide, along with her staggering success in wooing them, has solidified expectations of a presidential run in 2008. Oh, my gosh. Any funds left over from her senatorial campaign, which time recently estimated might exceed $10 million, could be used to see a presidential run. 
Even considering the prospect of a 2008 campaign for the White House, Clinton's receipts are remarkable. According to Massey Rich, no presidential aspirant has ever raised so much money this far in advance of the election. How do you like that? Maybe the Republicans are putting a lot of money in there, too. They want swillery, baby. Oh. you got two chances, none and much less than none. I mean, it could be wrong about that. That's my... What, about her winning or running? Right, winning. Yeah. Oh, no, I think she's running. Oh. <laughs> Makes me want to run. Right to the bull. Right to the border before they build that fence. Uh-oh, there's Condom Lisa there on MSNBC. Her. Given that and the August 6th presidential daily brief that we knew about... She didn't know nothing, you know? She just had that one report that said, you know, very vaguely titled Osama bin Laden determined to strike in U.S. It was too what subtle. What does that mean? It was too subtle to notice. Right. Almost a quarter of Britons think AIDS can be spread by kissing. Sex-mad Brits are ignorant about the risk of AIDS. They're sex-mad, are they? Britain is one of the most promiscuous nations in Europe and one of the least aware of AIDS, a survey suggests today. Hmm. Those silly-ass Brits, man. What did I tell you about their constipated brains? More than half Britain's poll did not use extra protection against HIV, and 22% thought AIDS could be caught by kissing. Depends on where you kiss, I imagine. No, I would think. Ask Mark Foley. He'll tell you where. Where? Oh, and the Chris Matthews on Leno last night, they showed a clip of during the last break. Mm-hmm. He said that those emails left a goo trail. <laughs> and Jay said, could we use an expression a little bit less uh, gooey? Yeah, gooey. <laughs> a goo trail. Health campaigners said the growing ignorance was the result of government failure to promote awareness and poor sex education in Britain, man. The Queen doesn't want them knowing about hanky-spanky like that. The Family Planning Association said we do not have mandatory sex and relationship education in schools, and what does get caught is taught as part of science. But it's just not good enough just to talk about biology. Young people need to be taught how to negotiate using a condom, how you negotiate it. The Eurobarometer poll of 25,000 EU citizens aged over 15 also found that 40% of people took no precautions against AIDS during sex. According to the survey carried out last year, fewer people in the 15 member states said they practiced safe sex than in the previous survey in 2002. It also showed half of them were poorly informed about the risks of HIV and AIDS, and with those in the 10 new member countries the most confused. And a quarter of Britain said they were less likely to be promiscuous, the worst record after the Netherlands. Netherlands is the worst. How do you like that? Bunch of perverts. Needle-ons. Not because they're all stoned all the time. It's just like Mark Foley says, man. It's either the booze or the drugs make you do it. That's right. Isn't that right? Absolutely. They got all them Rasta guys out there in the streets. Coke, ecstasy, Viagra. If you're going to buy Viagra, might as well do something with it, right? Depends on what you want to do. Four minutes till noon at QM. Don't forget, 2 o'clock, that mighty important Marlins press conference. The biggest Can't names, wait. the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. This is Coach Don Schuler, and I sound like Bob Hope on acid. And I want to tell you, it's the 12 to 1 hour or whatever it is. When Bill O'Reilly's dialing, sure he isn't wearing pants. He'll tell you if you like your job, then you'll give him a laugh dance. And if you tell O'Reilly, you're not looking to be kissed. He'll do the pants right off you. Absolutely. And call you an extortionist. 
a factor's fair and balanced But not when he calls at night He's looking for a lassie Who likes it a little to the right Rectum When Bill O'Reilly's horny Sure it ain't a no so when Bill O'Reilly's dialing, you best not pick up your phone. I think what Bill makes those calls, I think he may be spinning it himself. 1202 at 560. Oh, Pennsylvania State Police are going to update any minute now. It says on MSNBC, any minute now we're going to have an update. I'm that guy who was not on the 32, but he had that 20-year-old grudge. Maybe, maybe they misunderstood. Maybe it wasn't grudge. Maybe it was Miss Fudge. Maybe that's what put him over the edge. Speaking of uh, desperate animals, Western Grove, Arkansas. A rabid skunk was found recently in North Arkansas attacking a little kitten. Hmm. I don't know who I'm rooting for in that. Uh-huh. Veterinarian Beverly McClintock of Western Grove said a Marion County woman said she heard a commotion coming from under the bushes last week. She looked under the bushes and saw a skunk attacking a kitten. McClintock said the woman told her she beat the skunk off the kitten with a stick. Then the skunk chased her out of the porch and sprayed her. Neighbors helped look for the cattle at the goo trail. Neighbors helped look for the skunk and found it in a doghouse. <laughs> oh, brother. McClintock said she sent the skunk off for testing, and the State Department of Health and Human Services confirmed the skunk had rabbis, rabies. Rabbis. Veterinarian Jeremy Powell of the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service said rabies are a viral infection. Once established in the brain, the disease is normally fatal, as in... I'm dying over here! Rab uh, rabbis are often carried by skunks, raccoons, and bats. What did I tell you about bats? I don't know. What did you... They're like rats with wings, man. Oh, They're uh, hard I to kill. They're pigeons. nasty. If you are oh, pigeons. Boy, you ought to see what I got out here in my little uh, balcony. Pigeons? Good God. Uh, several. Many. I told you that day that I left the uh, window open there, mm -hmm. the sliding glass door. Right. Got and I walked in my living room after the show, and there was a pigeon uh, in, inside the living room. Yeah. What was the pigeon dropping? Stuff. Goo. Anyway, getting back, this is very important information for our audience, because I'm sure that there's plenty of uh, skunks in Florida. If you see a skunk walking around during the middle of the day and it doesn't seem to be afraid, you stay as far away as you can. That is not normal behavior. Just so, walk away. That is right. If you see a skunk just kind of lollygagging around. Rabbit animals may appear to be either dumb or furious, he said. Mm. A dog or cat in the dumb stage of rabies might be less active than usual. It may have a drooping jaw and appear to be choking. <coughs> it may salivate excessively. The animal may also refuse food and eat sticks and rocks. Cats usually don't go through the furious stage, while dogs do. Oh, here's uh, Governor Rendell of Pennsylvania. In respect for the tremendous loss that this community has suffered, State flags in Harrisburg and throughout oh, half mass, no doubt, huh? half mass I'm impressed. until the funerals. I want to also commend local responders, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. fire department, Great. and particularly the Pennsylvania State Police for their quick response. Their wonderful response to this tragedy, and all those dead kids. For doing all that they could and for. Isn't the all we really want to know is what all the real story was behind this, which uh, I don't think is really know. Extraordinary care what? of the families. Uh, it's been an extraordinary. This guy who wasn't Amish. And right. Colonel Miller was a great representative of the government of Pennsylvania and the state police during the aftermath of all of this tragedy. Yeah. Many people have asked us uh, what could be done. And it's a very complex question, and 
random acts of violence are always very, very... He's going to tell us nothing, okay? Let us know when somebody's going to say something, okay? You people at MSNBC, then I'll put it on the air. Don't forget, speaking of putting something muy importante on the air, 2 o'clock we got that very, very big uh, Marlins press conference with Larry and the Beanstalk. Now, is Jeffrey Lurie going to be involved in that, too, you think, Josh, or just Lurie and the Beanstalk? No, he won't show his face there. Lurie will not show his face? Well, I don't blame him. I mean, wouldn't you be embarrassed if he had a, a guy came in and did a great job and then he fired him because of a personal conflict because you were a jackass like Jeffrey Luria? God. See, that's the one thing about South Florida. You think when you get Wayne out of the equation that things are going to improve. Well, guess what? Like with the Marlins, we went from Wayne to John Henry. Oh, my God. Remember him, that little twerp? Remember the day I came into work? Sure. He was, I must be crazy. I must be nuts. Yeah, that was him. And then we went to uh, from John Henry to Jeffrey Luria and David Sampson and Delilah. We did it! We did it! That one, yeah. We won the World Series. Right. And like with the Panthers, we went to from Wayne to Alan Cohen and his brother Marty Cohen. And uh, who knows what evil that's going to bring. Although we're hearing that it's going to be really great. That's what Geldy, no! one of the great play-by-play guys in the NHL, according to that uh, press release. And still he has Red Deer Randy. So it doesn't really make any difference who the owner is. And South Florida is just, you know, it's just the same old deal. And then, of course, at the U.M., which you can't spell scum without U.M., uh, we got Larry Coker, who just turned 100. And they couldn't win a fixed game against the little girls' team. Boy, I'll tell you, they just, wouldn't that have been something if they would have lost that game Saturday, Josh? They were losing, bad. man. They, they almost see did. Any of it. I know. They, they came within an ace. They came within a little curly hair of losing that damn game to Houston, which Houston plays like TCU, TCU girls' school and stuff like that. You know, Donna Rice. That's the kind of teams that they play. And it was right there in the OB, too, right there in the bowl. In front of a sterling crowd of 36,000 plus announced. Were there really 36,000 there, or was that just not? Yeah, that's right. They don't that's, really, an, uh, that's another thing about like South the, Florida. Like not only is the team. management generally weak, but uh, then they lie a lot about the attendance. Speaking of lying a lot, like at election time, after Florida's hanging Chad debacle in 2000, many states invested in what they thought would be an upgrade electronic voting machines, man. They thought they were going to be good machines. But already, several states have experienced problems with electronic equipment, whether machine error, human error, or a combination of both. And many are not considering scrapping the new technology altogether. When in doubt, toss them out. In Maryland, where the recent primary election was marred by electronic voting problems, Governor Robert Ehrlich is calling for the return to old-fashioned paper ballots and urging voters to vote absentee in the coming election. Paper ballots. New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, stumping in Maryland earlier this week for Ehrlich's opponent, backed Ehrlich on the issue. Richardson said his state already had returned to paper ballots, an optical scan system, and argued the whole country should follow. Of course, in New Mexico, how many people are there? About 30, man. So, you know, it's not that difficult with paper ballots. That, right. that's, they're still doing it in Canada, man. Paper ballots. You make a big mark on a ballot, and you vote, and uh, that's it. And then either they count it or they throw it, you know, in the uh, can, depending on who you voted oh, for. The old-fashioned way. Right. They fix them the old-fashioned way. It's not just computer glitches that have officials worried either. A growing chorus of critics is charging that electronic voting is highly susceptible to fraud. Oh, my God. At a congressional hearing last Thursday, Edward Felton, professor of computer science and public affairs at Princeton, demonstrated how easy it is to break into a Diebold voting machine with a widely available type of key used for office furniture, jukeboxes, and even hotel minibars. Felton showed lawmakers how, in the space of a minute, he could infect the machine with a virus skewing the voting results. The implications, he warned, could be dramatic. Tampering with an old-fashioned ballot box can affect a few hundred votes at most, but injecting a virus into a single computerized voting machine can potentially affect an entire election, Felton be saying. 
Diebold has responded to Felton's criticism by saying the machine he used was out of date and that normal security procedures used by election workers would prevent such tampering. In a statement, the company said every voter in every local jurisdiction that uses AccuVote TS should feel secure knowing their vote will count on Election Day. Do we believe them? No. Of course not. Still, skeptics are questioning how good the security procedures actually are. In many precincts, election workers can actually take the machines home with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had read that before. It's hysterical. Right. That would be like my going to Woodbine and bringing you know, one of the slot machines home with me. Diddle with it for a while. Maybe it'll leave like a goo trail. One of the biggest complaints made about electronic machines is that they have no paper trail to verify the votes, but upgrading machines to produce paper receipts is expensive. Georgia's Secretary of State recently estimated it would cost as much as $75 million to retrofit the state's nearly 25,000 machines, Mon. And at last Thursday's hearings, experts warned that paper records aren't necessarily trustworthy either. Keith Cunningham of the Ohio Association of County Election Officials told lawmakers that paper printouts used in a recent Ohio uh, recount were often illegible or missing altogether. He argued that electronic technology would improve over time, comparing current machines to the Ford Model T. Still, with a third of all precincts nationwide slated to use touchscreen equipment for the first time this November, some in Congress believe a better backup system is necessary. I bet you Mark Foley was hoping for a backup system. <laughs> or a back-into-it system. Now, let's see, are they giving us some info here? Back into the school. After we photographed everything at the scene and we began to remove the contents of all the items that he had put in the school, we discovered a, a bag of nails, chains, small clamps, and two tubes of KY jelly. Cube! Oh, no. One of the two-by-four uh, pieces of wood had ten large eye hooks in the board, spaced approximately ten inches apart. It's important to note that we had ten victims at that time in, that were in the school. Additional information that we have on Roberts, there is no indication from the family or a co-worker that Roberts was going to commit this crime. Uh, we did interview his, his brother-in-law, who's also a co-worker, and, and he, he stated that basically Roberts was standoffish and would not interact as usual in the past couple of days leading up to the weekend before the, the crime occurred. In the interaction that Roberts had with his family the weekend preceding this past Monday the 2nd was very relaxed. Roberts would normally work from 6 p.m. till 3 a.m., which is the, basically the shift he worked uh, leading up to the, the day in question. He would normally park his company's commercial tanker truck in the parking lot of Nickel Mine Auction during the week and on the weekend. And he would park it, I'm sorry, and on the weekend he would park it at his residence. So normally during the week he would park it at the Nickel Mine Auction. He would leave his personal vehicle in the parking lot while he went out and did his milk run. Yeah. Okay, as to the statement, as to Roberts making statements about molesting family members, uh, from the interviews by, this, by the Pennsylvania State Police, both sides of Roberts' family were interviewed, uh, his parents, his wife. They had no knowledge of any molestation by Roberts affecting any family member or anyone else. And this was a complete surprise to them. I guess he just brought that, uh, the two tubes of KY to leave a goo trail. I, I guess. Wouldn't you think? I don't want to Representative think. Rush Holt, Democrat in New Jersey, has introduced a bill that would require all new electronic machines to produce a paper trail. In the Senate, Barbara Boxer of California has introduced a bill that would reimburse precincts for providing provisional ballots, giving voters the option to cast their vote on paper instead of on a machine mon. But with lawmakers rushing to leave Washington by the end of the week, action on either measure before Election Day looks doubtful. Unlikely. If anything occurred, we don't know. Yeah. They don't know much of anything, except for the two um, cubes of a KY jelly. What the hell is that all about? I dare not speculate. Yeah. 
1214 at QM. Let me tell you again, we got that big, big press conference at 2 o'clock. If I were you, I'd start the Daisy Chain right now. I'd get the uh, telephone book out, the white pages. I'd start calling everybody I know from Aardvark to Zed and uh, let them know that we got the big Marlin press conference at 2 right here on QAM. And I wouldn't be surprised if the other guys have it, too, would you? I wouldn't be surprised. What other but guys? Who, who the hell wants to hear their crap? The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. Rogers. God. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Okay, got some heavy-duty stuff coming off. Well, I'm grabbing it right now. ABC will soon report who had knowledge of the Mark Foley paid scandal and when they become aware of it, according to Raw Story. I'm just grabbing this right now. Can I grab it? Do it. In an interview sure. with Democracy Now!, ABC's Maddie Sauer has shared some startling facts about this story. Oh, my startling. God. Pages have, according to Sauer, been able to produce instant message conversations going back as far as five years. Some of them are reportedly sexually explicit. The FBI, Sauer claims, will be interviewing pages starting today. Sauer also indicated that ABC's next wave of reports on the Foley scandal will focus on who in Congress was aware of the situation, how much they knew, and when were they alerted. How do you like that? Mm-hmm. What did they know and when did they know it? We're right back to that old um, Nixon stuff again, Watergate crap. What did they know and when did they know it? Meanwhile, this uh, sheriff's guy is going bop, bop, bop. Together, but neither his wife... Or any member of his family that we have spoken to has suspect told wife he molested two minors 20 years ago. But again, this gives you a little bit of an insight into what. Well, I guess that would be a good reason to go and shoot some little kids, huh? Sure, yeah. God. 1470. He was not Amish, by the way. George wants to make sure you understand that because George has got a great uh, affection for the Amish people. Yes, I do. 1478. I mean, let's face it. When even the women have those cute little beards, what's not to like? Yeah. Which best it's describes true. Mark Foley? Pedophile, 429. Hypocrite, 386. Pervert, 154. Great Republican, 147. Hmm. Crazy Fag, 114. Stupid, 83. Who's Mark Foley? 66, 4.5%. They still don't get it. Old Troll, 45. Horny, 18. Careless, 13. I hit this pull, only 12, still a 0.8%. Oh. And Desperate, 11, out of almost 1,500 votes. Boy, where are the votes? They're just pouring in. Now, Josh, can you just concoct some more uh, sexual fantasy there on our website, on those uh, stories? Huh? See what I can do. Just put a few uh, words of body parts in there. You know, use the P word, the C word, the A word. Rectum. Whatever. 
A city plan to ban restaurants from selling meals containing unhealthy artificial fat in New York could open a new front in a national fight over the safety of America's food supply, legal experts said. Remember I talked about that the other day? Right. No trans fats in New York? Mm-hmm. In recent years, states and a few cities interested in ridding kitchens of suspected toxins have become increasingly bold about mandating warning labels about potential handers, hazards like lead in candy, mercury in fish, or pesticides in vegetables. Some of those measures have prompted fierce opposition from the food industry and members of Congress who say the states are exceeding their authority. Experts said New York City would take the boldest step yet if its Board of Health approves that proposal to ban restaurants from preparing foods containing more than trace amounts of artificial trans fatty acids. Announced Tuesday, last week, the ban on trans fats would bar chefs at thousands of restaurants from using partially hydrogenated vegetable oil and indisputably unhealthy ingredients, but one that's been in some types of shortening and frying well for decades, and we don't need to play a mom and love shortening again. Although that sure had its moments. Yeah. Shortening. Doctors don't like trans fat because of the havoc it wreaks with human cholesterol levels, and some studies have blamed it for an epidemic of heart disease deaths. Trans fats, baby. You're going to be gagging on it. It leaves a... Uh, Goo trail, all the way through your arteries. That's right. Yet federal regulation has been light, and public health law experts said they were stunned that New York would ban a substance the FDA only began listing on food labels this year. Uh, Lawrence O. Gostin, an associate dean at Georgetown Law School and director of the Center for Law and Public Health, called the city's actions breathtaking. <gasps> breathtaking. Almost as breathtaking as that exchange of emails from Mark Foley. Probably put him over the edge. Different kind of breathtaking. Oh. As in... <laughs> Well, that sounded like uh, Bill O'Reilly to me. Falafel. He said it's sure to prompt a lawsuit challenging the city's authority to enact such a measure. Big fast food companies that use artificial trans fats to prepare french fries, muffins, and donuts might also sue over the potential impact of the rules on interstate commerce, he said. Certainly, if there's a local deli in New York that's regulated by the local health department, it is clearly for the city to decide what is safe and what isn't, Gostin said. But if you're talking about large chains like McDonald's or Burger King, then there are powerful questions of federalism at stake. On the other hand, he added, however, when the federal government refuses to act or neglects to act in the face of a major health crisis, then sometimes you need cities and states to step into the vacuum and protect the public, and this might be one of those cases. And then again, Anthony M. DeLeo, a professor of health care law at Tulane, who also teaches at Tulane Medical School, said public health agencies have a well-established right to ban items that are inherently dangerous, like spoiled food or lead in paint. But the limits of a city's authority when it comes to something like trans fats are less clear, he said. You get to something here that is not a bacteria, it's not a virus, it's not an immediate danger. One meal containing a trans fat is not dangerous per se, he said. If you have the authority to ban that, you have to assume you have the authority to ban all sorts of things that in small amounts can be, can't be harmful, but in large amounts could be. Like, you know, eating the uh, paint off the wall, stuff like that. Mmm, laddie goodness. Right. The commissioner of New York City's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, Thomas Friedan, said he is confident the ban would survive any legal challenge. The Supreme Court has held that health departments have the authority to prohibit the sale of foods that are impure, unfit for use, or which spread disease, maybe if they leave a goo trail. And Fredan said there's ample evidence indicating that artificial trans fats cause heart disease. Absolutely. The substance invented as a substitute for natural animal fats like butter or lard has more in common with cancer-causing agents, Frieden said, than with other food stuffs that can be unhealthy if consumed in gluttonous amounts like saturated fats or salt. If these were cancer deaths, people would react very differently, Frieden said. Members of the public may weigh in on the proposed ban over the next few months. It's not expected to come before the New York Board of Health for a vote until at least December. No trans fats, baby. Quit eating those fatty fries. I've been telling you that for years. Mm, and you know what? You're going to die one of these days. I know. Soon. Suspect said he uh, molested minors and dreamed of doing it again. At some point, he lined everybody up. He separated them by gender. 
And not too long after that, he allowed the males to leave and the other people that we spoke about. So now he was just down to the 10 female students. Little girls. And he had already started, apparently, from what we were, were gathering, to bind their, their legs together and to put them up by the, by the uh, chalkboard. With NBC News, you talk about him leaving his milk truck at the auction house. Was the pickup truck there at the auction house and he just got from the, tr the milk truck to the auction house and then drove to the school? Well, no, because he, he went home from, he would leave his car. I think what we all want to know is that he finished delivering the milk, right? Yeah, it might be spurl. Ain't that the most important thing? Sure, those people. I mean, the idea of somebody driving a milk truck. Of course, this is an Amish country. Keep that in mind. Well, it's a different kind of milk truck, you know. What do you mean by that? Like the kind that delivers it to the grocery store, the 7-Eleven, etc. Oh, I see. I thought maybe it was like the old milkman that used to come to the house. Yeah, no, won't see them no more. The milkman, the ice man cometh, yeah. all that stuff. And, of course, when the milkman would leave, they always leave a goo trail. 1,495 votes on the poll, man. The sky is the limit today. They're whipped up into a frenzy about poor Miss Foley. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Air Force Radio 560 QAM. And a lollipop, little boy. It's today's fall fashions. It's retro Amish. Retro Amish. Oh, your hat makes me hot. Retro Amish. I can't wait to get into your suspenders. Retro Amish. Find Retro Amish at Sears Automotive Department. Oh, is that an oxen in your later hosen, or are you just happy to see me? Retro Amish. Call 32. I don't think I ever played that before. I just found that by accident. I don't think I've ever heard it before. Well, how do you like that? Not that it's a big deal or like some, you know, great bit, but nevertheless, when you consider how few we can still play. About 30, man. 1,505 votes on a poll today, boy. That is pretty a heavy duty. Wait till you hear this story from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It figures a paraplegic man in Rutherford County was allegedly roughed up Thursday night by police who thought they were dealing with an uncooperative drunk driver. The misunderstanding happened when police removed the Harvey Watson V. Harvey Watson from his vehicle and thought that he was resisting arrest when they dragged him across the road. Watson is diabetic and a paraplegic. Other than that, Watson's wife, Leanne Watson, called 9-11 earlier to notify police that something had gone wrong with her husband. She said she gave the dispatcher a description of the vehicle and his approximate location. Soon after Leanne Watson called 9-11, Chad Rutledge, driver of the vehicle, following Watson, said he called 9-11 to report a possible drunk driver. He was going from one lane to the other lane. He was going up hills on the wrong side. He was coming off in the ditch and coming back on. A Rutherford County Sheriff's Department incident report shows that officers tried to stop Harvey Watson's vehicle, but for medical reasons unknown to police at the time, he was disoriented. Maybe his blood sugar was like 800. When they told me to exit the vehicle, I stuck both arms out the window and told them I cannot exit, Harvey Watson said. When you take a man out, even if he's drunk, his legs are going to try to hold his weight. His didn't hold anything, Leanne Watson said. Harvey Watson said it wasn't until officers had dragged him by his knees, roughed him up and handcuffed him, that things became clearer for them. Leanne Watson said the handicap license plate, his hand controls for the vehicle, and the wheelchair should have given him a little clue. Yeah, should have clued them in. Along with several calls to 9-11 she made before the stop, they should have thought, hey, we have a medical situation here, Leanne said. Based on the incident report, a spokesman with the sheriff's reports that officers followed procedure. The statement issued by Dan Goodman of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department said, the original complaints who witnessed the entire event, had given statements indicating our officers did nothing wrong. Harvey Watson disagreed. It shouldn't have happened, he said. And now, of course, the Watsons are being advised by an attorney. Wouldn't you know it? Yeah. Well, what's being done for them? And one family lost two children here. Right. I'll let Can anyone I'll, speak to that? Let me let Major Kurt speak to it. Yeah, let Major Kurt speak to it, and we'll listen to something else. Big press conference at 2 o'clock. Joe Girardi fired by the Marlins, in case anybody really cares about that. Any, any interest? No. 
I know George will be interested in this next story. It's about your least favorite business, Walmart. Walmart. The nation. Liza Featherstone rips them an ass again. Oh, boy. Taking time out from its nonstop coverage of the early admission policies of a few elite colleges, could this newspaper appeal to an even tinier, more rarefied demographic? The New York Times ran a good front-page story this morning on Walmart's new plan as it revealed an internal memo to implement pay caps and increase the percentage of part-time employees in its workforce. Obviously, some of the company didn't feel the workers were exploited enough. The paper also reported something I've been hearing from Walmart workers for a long time. Scheduling is essentially at the whim of managers, especially impossible for workers who have children, but hard on all workers struggling to plan their lives and their budgets, given that they might work 20 hours one week and eight the next. It's important that the affluent urban consumers that Walmart so badly needs not be seduced by the retailer's new offerings, 400 thread count sheets, organic food, and its new best friend image, but keep the pressure on the company to improve work conditions by continuing to shop elsewhere and to protest Walmart's ever-insistent expansion. The company is is betting that its new target, the Starbucks customer, doesn't really care about workers' rights, but will go starry-eyed at the first nebulous signs of corporate responsibility. They're going after the Starbucks customer, whatever that is. Who is the, is that like a pseudo-intellectual? I don't know. I like Starbucks. Like I said. Uh-huh. It's coffee. Yeah. Yeah, but it's coffee like it's designer coffee, man. It's not just coffee. They got sugar-free mocha latte uh, frappuccinos. Actually, there's a, a Starbucks in the Eaton Center. I was there after you told me that a week with, or with two cream. ago. And, and the problem being that even with my glasses, I couldn't read the, I couldn't read the menu. They'll read it to you, old man. No, I'm serious. My eyesight's great, but I mean, just uh, the, the print is so teeny tiny up there on that thing, you know. Just ask for a uh, sugar-free frappuccino. Yeah, a sugar-free frappuccino. Does it yeah. leave a, a gooey tra- trail? Oh, extra gooey. <laughs> if it got, if it's got coffee in it, believe me, it'll leave a goo trail for me. The people that hang out in Starbucks are the suits. Uh huh. People hang out there. That? Yeah, it's like a hangout. Oh, like that artsy mm-hmm. fartsy crowd. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Oh, because it's a hot spot. Go to the coffee shop. Right. Cliff says on the facts. Just thought I'd let you know. I've heard this state of Florida called every name in the book till last night. One of the tra- uh, talking head shows referred to it as the Redneck Riviera. Yeah, that's not bad. Okay, thanks, Cliff. I've heard that before. Don't stay away too long, Cliff, unless you want to. The Redneck Riviera. Mm-hmm. Redneck heaven. Uh-oh, media ownership issues return to the spotlight with the FCC, you know, the unctuous FCC, mm-hmm. which is why we can't say crap anymore. The FCC kicks off the first of six planned public hearings today to discuss a number of broadcast ownership rules, including whether a single company should be able to own both a newspaper and a TV station in the same market. The hearing takes place in L.A., a city where the Tribune Company owns both the L.A. Times and Channel 5 KTLA-TV. Tribune is hoping the FCC will eliminate the ban, but just in case has asked the agency for a waiver so it can renew its broadcast license and retain ownership of both properties. The station license expires December 1. I wonder when our license expires. (laughs) The last time the agency revisited the ownership rules was in 2003 when it voted 3-2 to to raise the national audience cap for TV station owners, lessen restrictions on how many radio and TV stations a company may own in the same market, and allow for cross-ownership of newspapers and broadcast stations in some instances. That decision sparked a popular revolt congressional action and a federal appeals court decision that resulted in most of the rules being sent back to the agency for reconsideration. Look at it again, and this time get it right, you idiots. You, uh... You fairy! The media ownership issue has now reached the same level of interest as it did in 2003 when the FCC was besieged with complaints from media consolidation foes on both the right and the left. This time around, the marquee issue, the national broadcast audience cap, is off the table. 
After the FCC voted in 2003 to expand the number of American households to a single TV broadcast company could reach from 35 to 45 percent, Congress intervened, setting the limit at 39 percent. The same percentage of viewers that the nation's two largest TV broadcasters, News Corp and CBS Corp, reached at the time. Now, if there's one more person than 39 percent, we're going to knock him off the air. Tuesday's meeting, today's meeting will consist of seven hours of comment and public participation and be conducted in Los Angeles and El Segundo. Several witnesses have been invited, including members of the entertainment and TV industries. Former FCC chairman, the unctuous Michael Powell, was criticized for conducting only one public hearing three years ago before the commission voted on the media ownership rules. Current FCC chairman, the almost as unctuous Kevin Martin, has taken a different approach, promising six meetings in all, with future sites yet to be announced. I wonder how Don Martin's doing at Mad Magazine. I think he's dead, isn't he? Is he? I don't know. I haven't seen him in a long time. Now, what was that cartoon he used to draw? Uh, something or no uh, something? We just called it Don Martin. No. Are you talking about Spy or... Uh, spy or no Spy? Uh, spy versus Spy. Is that what it was? But that wasn't Don Martin. Well, I haven't read it. Who was it? Some other guy. Huh. I'm have to look that up. Martin Short? Yeah, yes, he, he is. Was. He's Canadian, too, by the way, I'm embarrassed to say. Nothing's perfect. Your girlfriend, uh, Pam Anderson, she's Canadian. Uh, Martin Short, Canadian. Yeah. Uh, who's somebody else we can't stand? Anne Marie, Canadian. Mm-hmm. And who's that, that other that? songstress? Oh, Celine Dion. How Celine Dion. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, right in the middle of lunch, I apologize profusely. What about Brian Adams? Yeah, another Canadian. Hey, hey, Brian. You fairy. 1,524 votes on the poll. I think we got 16 licked, if you ask me. The biggest the thing is the best challenge. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. Lick them. The new TMX Elmo. The X stands for X ray. <laughs> X-rated Elmo will fulfill your every desire. <laughs> you like that, Prairie Dog? Huh? 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 Who's your daddy? <laughs> yeah! Oh, boy! That must be Big Bird delivering the pepperoni pizza. <laughs> TN X-rated Elmo. Available in the back room behind the curtain of a toy store near you. 1245 at 560 WQM, a Turkish plane. This is from Brindisi, Italy. Never been there. I don't even know where that is. A Turkish plane carrying 113 people was hijacked today by two Turks protesting Pope Benedict's upcoming visit to Turkey, landed safely in Italy, in Brindisi, according to a Turkish national airline official. The official said the two indicated they were ready to surrender to authorities. The plane departed Tirana, Albania, and was headed to Istanbul, Turkey, when the, hi- what did I say? when the hijackers announced their intentions over Greek airspace, the spokesman said on Turkish TV. Boy, sure missed that Turkish taffy, although it'll pull your teeth and your fillings mm-hmm. out. Not necessarily in that order. The plane sent out an SOS, and Greek Defense Ministry planes escorted the aircraft out of Greek airspace. Greek officials alerted their Italian counterparts. The plane, carrying 107 passengers and six crew, landed at a military airport in Brindisi on the heel of Italy's boot. The airline spokesman said the two men commandeered the plane to protest Pope Benedict's upcoming visit to Turkey, and because they were angered over the Pope's recent comments quoting a 14th century scholar about Islam. An Italian Air Force F-16 fighter jet intercepted the Turkish Boeing 737, forced it to land at Brindisi, and Air Force official told Reuters, uh, and yada yada. Pats, passengers and crews are under no threat, they be saying. Thanks, God. Now, here's a little yeah. bit more. I, well, I don't want to listen to this whole press conference. Not using the eyeball system, but restrained in, the, in that their legs were restrained. Some were tied together, some were tied just among Yeah, and of course, how come he had the more than one tube of KY jelly in there? He must have had some plans. Maybe there were small tubes. 
Schoolhouse killer Carl, Charles Carl Roberts, fourth, said he molested minor family members 20 years ago and was dreaming about molesting again, police said today. The assault today killed, uh, well, let's see, let's make sure we got it. The assault Monday killed five girls, wounded six others before Roberts killed himself. Police are still trying to determine the motive behind the attack. It's pretty clear to us, based on the actions that he took, that he intended to go into high this school, said Pennsylvania State Police Commissioner Jeffrey Miller. Now we believe this had nothing to do with the Amish, but it had to do with his victim's age range, which was young female students ages 6 to 13. And we believe he did not intend to come out alive. Well, you know, good intentions. Yeah, successful. Roberts also said he was mad at God for the death of his premature baby, Elise, born nine years ago. Well, he was mad. He's angry. Was. Miller said Roberts called his wife Monday morning and said, I'm not coming home. The police are here. Then Miller said Roberts stated, I molested some minor family members, family members that were three or four years old 20 years ago. And he mentioned in the suicide note he was having dreams of molesting again. Police said KY Jelly Lubricant was found in the schoolhouse where the assault occurred, but there's no evidence that the victims were sexually assaulted in any way. Miller said both sides of Robert's family were interviewed, including his parents and his wife. They said they had no knowledge of any molestation by Robert's affecting any family member or anybody else. Co-worker said he had stopped chatting and joking in recent days. He was a sullen. The commercial milk truck driver lived in nearby Bart, Pennsylvania, with his wife and three kids. Commercial milk truck driver. Now, what does that mean? Like, like I said, he delivered milk to stores and stuff from like, like a dairy distributor. Exactly. Uh huh. What kind of stores do they got there in Amish country? I guess they got to walk to the store, right, or take the horse and buggy. I bet you they have a farm stores. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me even a little bit. Similar could have spurred him on. It's very possible. But I truly believe, based on what we know, that this was a very deeply disturbed individual. But he wasn't disturbed in the sense that people could pick up on that at the surface. He was, he was very deeply troubled underneath. And I think it was just a matter of time before he did something, given what he was dealing with at that time. He was undetectably disturbed. How's that? Mm -hmm. Subtle. Same-sex couples in Rhode Island, eager to take advantage of a Suffolk Superior Court judge's ruling last week, found that their state does not prohibit gay marriage, began making plans this last weekend to marry in Massachusetts. The ruling was the first to allow same-sex couples from outside Massachusetts to marry since the Supreme Court, the Supreme Judicial Court's 2003 ruling that legalized gay marriages in Massachusetts. In March, the SJC ruled the state could use a 1913 law to stop out-of-state couples from marrying here if the marriage was forbidden in their home state. In Rhode Island, where the law refers to a bride and groom but doesn't explicitly prohibit gay marriage, same-sex couples said yesterday they hope to marry soon before the state's General Assembly's got a chance to change the law when it meets again in January. As we all know, anything can happen, and it's fair to say that we're paranoid, said Judy McDowell, 50, a sociologist from Providence who started making plans to marry her partner of 13 years. We're hoping there won't be any more obstacles, but we feel urgency because, because we can't know for sure, she said. But the gay and lesbian advocates and defenders in Boston has advised same-sex couples to allow some time for city and town clerks to implement the judge's ruling. Since May of 2004, when the state first began allowing gay marriage, about 8,500 same-sex couples have married, according to the group. Folks should call the clerk's office to make sure they're ready for start, to start issuing licenses, said Carissa Cunningham, spokeswoman for the group. There isn't any legal reason that couples from Rhode Island can't just come up here and get married. It may just be administrative hold-ups. It's a hold-up. But opponents of same-sex marriage, including the Diocese of Providence, are hoping the ruling will spur Rhode Island to pass a law defining marriage as the union of a man and a woman. This ruling has created a legal fiction, said the Reverend Bernard Healy, director of the Diocese Official uh, Office of Government Liaison. This is a wake-up call. We need to be more vigilant in promoting and protecting traditional marriage. Maybe this will help some people sitting on the fence. Oh, sitting on the fence. I sure hope they don't Rectum. get that injured. Wouldn't that be bad? Yeah, it would. 
the archdiocese. What the hell would they know about gay marriage or stuff like that? All those activities, huh? I'm sure nothing. About the first thing you said. <laughs> gay. 1550, baby, on your AM dial. 1550 votes. Tortured Canadian wins battle for truth. Four years after he was detained as a suspected terrorist, Meyer um, Arar's name has finally been cleared. This is in the Guardian, UK. Remember him? Nope. Four years ago, Canadian Meyer Arar was detained on a routine airport stopover in the U.S. He ended up in Syria, where he was imprisoned and tortured for ten months. You don't remember this? I just uh, talked about him a few days ago. I do, I do not. When he was released by the Syrians and returned to Canada, he started asking how he had been targeted as an Islamic terrorist. His search for answers has made him into a national celebrity and is likely to end with an apology from the Prime Minister himself. Late last month, the public inquiry cleared him of any connection to terrorism and criticized the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, for feeding American officials misleading information about him. Last week, RCMP Commissioner Giuliano Zaccardelli finally offered Mr. Arar a full apology. I wish to take this opportunity to express publicly to you and your wife and your children how truly sorry I am for whatever part the actions of the RCMP may have contributed to the terrible injustices you experienced and the pain that you and your family endured. Justice Dennis O'Connor, oh, he could sure tap dance pretty good, who led the public inquiry, found that the police had passed faulty intelligence reports to U.S. authorities that had very likely led to his arrest at JFK Airport in New York in the very beginning of his nightmare. He couldn't say for sure because the Americans refused to participate in the inquiry based on the flimsiest of evidence, the fact that he was an acquaintance of a man in the Americas suspected of being a terrorist. The RCMP told American officials that Mr. Arar was suspected of links to al-Qaeda. They continued to feed questions about him to his Syrian captors, even as Canada's foreign affairs minister was working to get him out of the dark, narrow Syrian jail cell Mr. Arar called the grave. Even after the Syrians released Mr. Rar, finding no evidence of terrorist leaks, the RCMP ran a smear campaign, leaking details to reporters about a confession he had made while he was being tortured. How unusual, somebody making a confession while they're being tortured. George O'Connor also reported that the RCMP had not been straight with the government officials about its role. The House of Commons has also apologized to Mr. Rar. Prime Minister Stephen Harper, George, Bush, George W. Bush Jr., is expected to do so once the government reaches a financial settlement with him who suffers from depression and post-traumatic stress syndrome as a result of his ordeal. And it goes on at length. Sign America, baby. Stephen Harper, of course, wanted to suck up to Bush. He, he wants to be like uh, Bush, uh, George W. Bush, the, uh, the tooth, is what he's all about. By the way, you'll be pleased to know the five girls still in the hospital from that shooting uh, is doing very well. So hopefully they won't be changing that yeah. number no more. That's the number they kept changing and changing. Our poll number is changing. We got 1,557 votes, and I wouldn't be surprised if we got over 900 reads on that story about um, the chat, the chat room. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm checking. I'm looking at the stats from yesterday. 909. How do you like that? Was I right or what? Sure. Wouldn't surprise me if we get over a thousand people reading that Mark Foley instant message chats with the congressional page. It was the booze that was doing the talking. <laughs> Not. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560 QAM. W.W. Bush. And I disapprove of the Neil Rogers wonder. It's a new season, a new network, and a new attitude for the Gilmore Girls. Mom, thanks for coming to Yale for Parents Weekend. Oh, I wouldn't miss it for the world, Rory. Time for Jaeger shots! Gilmore Girls Gone Wild. Wow, Rory, your mom is so cool. She just won the banana eating contest. Yeah, isn't she the best? It's all fun and games until mother-daughter rivalry rears its ugly head. Mom, how dare you try to beat me in the wet t-shirt contest? Skin to win. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. How do you like these puppies, guys? Woo-hoo! More alive. 
It's all about friends, family, and flashing on Gilmore Girls Gone Wild. All right. One o'clock at 560 WQM, and of course, two o'clock, usually it's the Mad Dog, but today we got that big press conference by the Marlins to announce something that we already know. Joe Girardi fired. You're out, Joe. So it's true he's going to Chicago to manage the Cubs? That's the rumor. Oh, my God. Woof. Talk about a death wish. Well, at least there'll be some people at the games anyway at Wrigley Field. That's true. At uh, Wrigley Piggly Field. There's some, uh, so Joe Girardi's getting canned, and Larry Beanstalk, Larry and the Beanstalk will be along at uh, 2 o'clock, and then the Mad Dog will follow the press conference. And I'm sure rip them an ass that they deserve. Then we got the Power Hour with Hank and the Mad Dog, 4 o'clock. Hank Goldberg, 5 to 7. Geldy tonight, 7 to 10. Including 8 to 10, that Florida Panthers preseason special, Eddie K at 10 o'clock. No games tonight because we got Panthers season don't start until uh, Friday, I guess. Got the Bruins game. Well, I mean, the hockey season, the NHL starts tomorrow. Got MLB playoffs on right now. We got what? Baseball playoffs start today. Are on now? That's right. Who's carrying that? What network is that on? ESPN. Oh, ESPN. Well, I don't got no ESPN, but I do have a TSN. Wouldn't surprise me if it's on TSN. No? Rolex Spirit of Yachting is on there. What the hell am I going to do about that? Huh? I said, well, that's exciting. Well, where the hell am I going to find that? Are you sure? Who the hell's playing? Well, there's the young and the horny. One of these sports networks is going to have it somewhere. <laughs> it's not wrong. Not, not on there. You're in the right. Yeah. Shell, uh, Desert Inn. Shell's World of the... Golf. There's Arnie Palmer 100 years ago. There's motorcycle racing. Here's playoffs. And these twins fans are hoping that with their ace, Santana, and their... Sounds like John Miller to me. That thing the boys will be moving on when this series is over. Oh, and there's Joe Morgan next to him there, looking uh, like he usually does. I told you, he's a big fan of yours, John Miller. You want to know why? Why? That's a Rimmer thing. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, because Rimmer and him are tight as a, a snare drum. They used to work in Baltimore together. Remember when John Miller did the Oriole game before do. you were born? Well, I don't know how long ago that was. But at any rate, uh, yeah, the two of them are pretty tight. So he probably he probably uh, turned Miller onto my show. You know, John said, oh, that guy's, uh, what's that all about? Where, where do you come up with this stuff? He's a big fan of mine, John Miller. Where, um, I'm just pretty sure I used to do the Marlin games, and uh, I've met the guy a couple times. You met John Miller a couple times? God, can I kiss your ring? Oh, sorry. I met your cube. Sorry, he's over 18. That's right. Check IDs, okay? Check ID. That's my suggestion to all you perverts out there. Check ID. Do not be risking your entire livelihood and your career in Congress and whatever else you aspire to be by uh, dealing with, like, minors, okay? Coal miners, that's okay if they're old enough, but not like your regular miners. God. Laconia, New Hampshire. Never been there, though. I've been to Rockingham, to Salem, New Hampshire. Mm. Police said a couple were arguing about their marriage when the wife grabbed an axe and charged at her husband, chasing him around the house. Maybe she just wanted to ask him a question. The axe is considered a collector's item and is used for display, but investigators said it's got a very sharp blade and is capable of causing serious injury or death. Linda Massey, 50, defended herself in court Monday and called the axe a toy. I didn't threaten to kill him or anything, she said. Investigators said the couple had been drinking, and Massey's husband told her that he wanted to leave her. Excuse me. The argument then became violent. I'm getting choked up. Police said that while chasing her husband, Massey destroyed several things inside their home, including a glass door and his car. Her husband ran to a neighbor's house where he locked the door and called the police. What a wimp. What a wimp. Why didn't he just shoot the bitch? Huh? I'm telling you. Take the he's axe a real American if he's a real guy. Smack her with that axe. Well, let's see. Here's the facts. Mar- it says Mark Foley is just stupid. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, that's on our poll. It's not doing all that well. It's way down the uh, list. It says, what homosexual man hasn't glanced at an especially handsome 16-year-old young man, mature for his age, and thought, hmm, if only you were legal. I know I have, says the facts. And you probably have two, Neil. 
Foley's faux pas was that he acted on those impulses. Well, I mean, is, is this debatable? Is this like rocket science that this faxer is telling us? It must be. Good God. And now self-appointed stewards of the public moral compass like Bill uh, O'Reilly, <laughs> it doesn't say O'Reilly here, I'm not going to read that, are playing the gay card, blaming Foley's lack of self-control on his sexuality. Note to old trolls, it says, keep it in your pants as young ones don't need the stigmata of your <laughs> stupid actions. The stigmata. Wow. I wonder if the stigmata left a goo trail back in biblical times, you think? A sticky one. Uh-oh. A bloody goo trail. Well, anyway, so what does this really tell us? Okay, I mean, you know, the guys just, I guess, be honest and admit that we've all looked at somebody who looks really hot and thought, boy, oh, boy, if they were just, like, you know, a year or two older, or whatever the hell they did. Well, of course. Who hasn't done that? Except a liar, right? Right. But like I said before, you know, if you're into... See, if you're like into nine and ten-year-olds, then you got a real problem. Because even if you wait a year or two, you're still a pervert, and we're going to fry your ass, you know? Right. My suggestion to those people is uh, go to Thailand. Go to uh, Costa Rica. Just get out of the, uh, get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Get lost. Aaron Glance. Oh, I don't know if I can say Glance. Mm-mm. Remember that Just One Glance? What was that Just One Look by? Uh, right. What that was her name? Just uh, One Look. Come on, you can do it. I know I can do it. Doris Troy. What really? a memory. Doris Troy, just one look. Are you kidding me? Wow. You have to question my, uh, oh, my You're God. Right. Doris Troy. You're right. There it is. Good song. Yeah, it is, actually. Just one look. And then run away, okay? If you're not sure. If they look like uh, maybe jailbait, then run like hell for the hill. Okay, thanks, Doris. Lights out for light cigarettes, writes Aaron Glantz. Health groups are rejoicing this week after a federal judge in New York gave the go-ahead to the largest class action lawsuit in U.S. history. Smokers of light and low-tar cigarettes are suing tobacco companies, accusing them of fraud, and seeking up to $200 billion in damages. I think these lawsuits are crap. You know, like, like anybody who's smoking them faggots doesn't know that they're going to, like, give them a, uh, right. a big tumor or whatever the hell. It's like eating Krispy Kreme donuts. And that, that's right, like eating 20 or 30 of them in a sitting. Or like eating Haagen-Dazs of banana uh, ice cream, mm-hmm. like I did yesterday, a pint. Oh, no. Banana nut. You are a banana well, nut. you know, I beg your pardon? I said you are a banana nut. That's correct. It's addictive. They ought to be sued. I'm going to sue their ass. I put all that sugar in there. No, they, right. just like the Krispy Kreme donuts. They put right. all the sugar in there because they want you to be addicted to it. You know, you just can't eat, eat only ten. Sue them for making it yummy. That's right. The plaintiffs alleged tobacco companies knew years ago that smokers tend to smoke light cigarettes harder, taking deeper drags and smoking more cigarettes. <laughs> How do you like that? Deeper drags. <laughs> Woo! Cumulative health effect, they say, is the same as regular cigarettes, an increased risk for disease and death. Bronchitis, emphysema, cancer, all of these, all of these things. things. It's time that we start holding them accountable for this fraud. Cynthia Howland of the California-based Americans for Non-Smokers' Rights told One World. The tobacco companies knew and withheld information about the health effects of so-called light, low-tar, and natural cigarettes, and that they were seemingly less hazardous, but they knew, in fact, from their own research, that they were not only damaging to smokers, but to non-smokers as well through second-hand smoke. In his ruling Monday, District Judge Jack Weinstein echoed health advocates saying the claim is that the carcinogenic other adverse effects smokers sought to avoid were not reduced by smoking light rather than other cigarettes. The defendants knew this was the case, that they concealed this fact, that they urged plaintiffs through advertising and other public statements to smoke these lights knowing smokers were being misled because they were taking a deeper drag. <laughs> Tobacco companies, including U.S.-based Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds, have vowed to appeal the ruling. Regardless, the days of light and low-tar cigarettes on the shelves of American stores, it says here, are likely to be over. It's over. 
That's because of a court victory by the federal government in a separate racketeering case last month. In that case, Judge Gladys Kessler found America's largest tobacco firms had violated racketeering laws in a conspiracy stretching back to the 50s, during which time they had sought to maximize profits while deceiving smokers about the extent of their research into health risks associated with cigarettes, with those faggots. The tobacco company's response to Kessler's ruling surprised many observers. Rather than contesting her findings, they asked for a clarification. If they stopped selling light and low-tar cigarettes domestically, could they continue to market them abroad? It's an absolute outrage that they want to be able to do overseas what they're not going to be allowed to do in the U.S., said Ross Hammond, organizer of the Global Tobacco Control Policy Framework, which combats cigarette smoking worldwide. They have absolutely no shame yet, and I think they're just counting on people not paying attention. Absolutely. Only an industry that survived 50 years by deceiving the American public on a continuing and regular basis would have trouble complying with an order that tells them simply to tell the truth. Matthew Myers, president of a campaign for tobacco-free kids, said in a statement. That's right. All you kids out there, if you're going to like light up, make sure it's not a cigarette. Right? That's what George says. That's right. No one's died from that yet. It is very clear that the main product of the state tobacco company of Thailand is for adult men said a woman whose name I couldn't possibly pronounce. They don't target women or children, but right now you see their national brands provide a greater variety of choice. You don't only see red Marlboro, you see light Marlboro, low tar Marlboro, and every other variety of Marlboro. In response to the inundation of foreign cigarette advertising, Thailand's health ministry implemented its own ban on light and low tar cigarettes last month. The measure has no enforcement provision, though, and since Thailand's government was just overthrown in a military coup, it may take some time to implement, all depending on the new uh, guys. And what they're smoking. Yes, Listed by the commissioner's office, Randy Martin. So how the hell can we do this uh, broadcast here between one and two and we got Major League Baseball playoffs on the left field line, Tony Randazzo, the right field line, and the first pitch of the first game. Oh, Oakland, Minnesota, who cares about this game? Do you care about this, Josh? The Twins? Uh, yeah. Get out of here. I'd who like are you rooting for? Pop it on. Oh, right down the middle. How could you look at that pitch? Now an hour. Strike two. The first one was a get-it-over fastball, 92 miles an hour. Now he re- oh, it's Jason Kendall. Didn't they name a place in Florida after him? Kendall only one home run. It is an excellent two-strike hitter, and that ball is just fouled. Okay, we don't have the rights to be carrying this game. How can you be putting that on the air? What's wrong with you, man? Uh-oh, wandered home for terrorist puppies. Cortland, New York. Describing abandoned puppies as terrorists in a classified ad doesn't seem like a good way to get them adopted unless you're in the animal rescue world of Paula Young. Young, director of Mount Burton's Animal Shelter, learned last month that four rat terrier pups were about to be euthanized in New York City, so she swooped in, picked them up, and brought them to her five-acre spread in Westchester County. Then she called the Journal News and ordered a two-week, three-line ad that says, Twin Rat Terrorist, 11 months adorable, full of fun. Young and dumb and full of fun. You don't often see terrorists and adorable in the same description, but Young said she was just being honest. They can be little terrors, she said, of the 8- to 12-pound white butterscotch and black short-haired terriers named Jack, Jackie, Milo, and Dino, who were playing happily on a second-story deck on a recent morning and were perfectly friendly toward a visitor. White butterscotch and black short-haired terriers. Don't be fooled by those sweet-looking faces and silky ears. Their fierce hunting instincts are likely to terrify any prey. If you're wearing a pair of slippers that look like bunnies, they'll think it's the greatest thing in the world they'll attack them, warned Young. And they're very energetic. Jack jumped off the deck to greet me the other day, he said. She said. It said. Young said she advertised the little terriers by two because people would be more likely to adopt two than four. And as a Monday, she had found a home for just one. Jack, who was adopted by a woman and her 11-year-old daughter in Piermont, New York. When Young placed the ad, the woman taking down the copy balked at terrorist. She said, you mean terrier? I said, no. You really want to say that? I said, yes. Terrorist. Young said she's from a military family, didn't think the word terrorist would offend anybody, and saw nothing wrong with using it to attract attention, and it did. 
Young said that since September 21, when the ad first appeared in paper and online, she's received about 75 calls. Some were interested in adopting the dog. Some mentioned Al-Qaeda or the Irish Republican Army. And a man named Todd called from Colorado to say, I love your ad about the twin rat terrorist. We just put it up on the refrigerator. The ad was especially notable among fluffier adoption notices for a Wheaton Terrier soft-coated and Yorkie puppies toy in teacup sizes. Oh, a teacup-sized dog. Make Tiny look like a monster. What kind of a dog is that? What kind of a person gets a little dog that's the size of a teacup? Uh, my wife. Get out of here. Your dog is that small? Not the size of a teacup. It's a Pomeranian. It's five pounds. It'll fit in your pocket. Yeah. How about the dog? That, too. Young, who's in her 40s and a mother of a grown son, had a soft spot for the hard cases of the animal world. A state-licensed wildlife rehab who's been, on, uh, who's been an actress, journalist, and restaurant owner. She has a series of sheds and cages behind her house for rabbits, raccoons, even deer recovering from injury or other trauma like loss of a mother. How do you know if a deer lost its mother? Does it tell you? You ever see Bambi? Oh, dear. This week, three raccoons were lounging in the rafters of their shed, ignoring an open door to freedom. There's also a pen for a big Nubian goat named Billy. Boy, I bet you it really stinks in that place. Wow. Then there are her own pets, including three tiny Pomeranians in diapers, and she says, I don't know how many cats. Isn't that cute? No. Three tiny Pomeranians in diapers. Hmm. I guess that's so they don't leave that unctuous goo trail. That's what Chris Matthews is worried about in those emails, was the goo trail. And if he's got any brains left at all, if he quits drinking, maybe Mark Foley will start worrying about his goo trail, too. The biggest names, the best talent. Hey, Mark, this you is Rogers, Sports Radio 560, QA.